0: This podcast has bad words. (laughs) Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think
1: that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.
2: Hello everybody, welcome to the minimalist podcast where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua
3: Fields Milburn and I am Ryan Nicodemus and together we are the minimalists. Welcome to episode 155. We have a special guest in the studio with us
2: today. We're here with Peter Rollins. Uh, Ryan, I love you.
4: I love you more. Gonna, but you know who I love more than you? Peter Rollins. <laughs> this is a beautiful moment I'm seeing right now. <laughs> this is, I feel like I should leave the room, should I? Is this, is this a little private moment? No way, dude. We, oh.
3: we we ask you to be here with us to oh. share this love. Well, thank you. <laughs> we film all of
2: our most intimate moments. Yep. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> no, today we're actually going to be talking about love. And we're here with Peter Rollins. Uh, Peter, you... you well... This is only the second time we've ever met. The first time we met was uh, about a year ago. We did an event in Los Angeles with our shared friend, Rob Bell. Yep. And you came out for that. Thank you for uh, for showing up. Mm-hmm. And, and um, we, we had a really great time at that event. It was one of my favorite live podcasts that we've ever done. Yeah. I thought you would have
4: me on the stage, but that's why I was there. <laughs> uh, and you just stuck me in a seat. I so. told Josh we should have, yeah, but he, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah problem, whatever, man? whatever.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah,
2: and... um since then you know i've i've really enjoyed you've had a few conversations on rob bell's podcast i'm going to do our our best today to not just reiterate those conversations but you had this series of three conversations last summer and we'll put links to all three of these in the show notes about love mm. and um Man, you 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 sort of talked about well. I don't again. I don't want to rehash all of it, but there were a few things that really stood out. Now, Ryan and I, we end every podcast episode with a phrase, a sort of mantra that we've come up with, and it's a repurposing of um, several different quotes. But uh, it's love people and use things because the opposite never works. Oh, yeah. And I feel like in, in our society, what we've done now is we have commodified the people in our lives quite often and and it's become almost a default especially via the technologies that we use now and just the consumerist culture we've commodified the people in our lives and we're loving the commodities Mm -hmm. in, in our life and you said a few things uh during those those podcast conversations with rob bell that that really stood out to me um one of the quotes that i wrote down here was you said love is not meaningful love is what brings meaning into the world Mm. and and to me that was that was just it it was it was beautiful because i think quite often we're looking for well we're look we're we're chasing happiness we're chasing pleasure we're we're chasing ephemerality Mm. and uh i think that's often the wrong pursuit we're 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 really looking for meaning in life but but and, and Love, if we're looking for meaning, then love is what brings that, that meaning into the world. Maybe you can expand on, on that a little bit.
4: Yeah, um, basically, and everybody knows this, as soon as I say it, everyone will go, oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's that you know when you love somebody or when you love a cause, uh, that love makes everything radiant. It really kind of brings depth and density to your life. Mm. It, it makes walks not just getting from A to B, but they can be like a communion with nature. Mm-hmm. It makes a meal not simply giving yourself energy to survive, but it can become a type of, you know, uh, communion with another person. Mm. And so when, and when you lose love, often what happens is everything becomes meaningless. Mm. You know, you don't just lose one thing, right? You don't have a hundred things in your life that are meaningful. And then, oh, I've lost one thing that was meaningful, but I still have 99 that are. Right, I
2: have uh, 99% meaning
4: left. Yes, exactly. One, one's gone, but 99 are in place. Um, sadly, when you lose uh, love, You can lose the meaning that you get out of everything else. Mm. Suddenly, getting out of bed becomes a chore. Going to work is not something that you enjoy if you enjoy your work. Mm. Um, Everything becomes grey. So in a sense, when you love someone or when you love a cause, um, it it basically animates your entire existence. Mm. And when that is lost, we are under threat of... uh, Basically, we're under threat of losing care and concern for the world. Yeah,
3: I love how that the concept is uh, love is almost the motivation or the inspiration instead of us reacting on the love maybe it's um just focusing on developing the love more i don't know if that makes any sense but i i I, yeah i I love that approach and and the other the other
2: line that really stood out to me that that i i sent over to my wife as soon as as soon as the the whole i was was listening to i was re-listening to this this series in preparation for this podcast by the way we we don't do interviews so i don't want to turn this into a whole interview thing what we do is we show up and we answer questions we have some questions from our audience we'll get to in a second but there was one other line that really stood out to me and i wanted to bring it to the forefront and i think it's going to be a applicable for the questions we're going to be answering today but when you said love is giving up what you do not have uh, to someone who does not want it, and I believe it was a quote from a philosopher. Um, yeah, it, and that was so powerful. Uh, uh, giving up what you, uh, love is, giving up what you do, not, uh, giving giving what you do not have to to someone who does not want it. Meaning, <laughs> like like the the pain and the suffering, like like what you do not have uh, to someone who's able to sort of support you and deal with it, notwithstanding the pain.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a difficult quote to unpack. But but if we unpack it. Uh, if you go on to tinder or something like that mm-hmm. uh, we're always giving of our excess I am you know I'm smart I like this I travel the world mm-hmm. um, you've got pictures that show you you know the excess of your life you know you give over this image that 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 you're pretty cool yeah. um, and people want that you know you want to meet somebody who is uh, who's got it all together who loves exciting things who's going to fulfill your life in some way make it richer
5: mm.
4: but we're really treating people as objects in that Mm. way you know we're seeing them with a certain number of criteria that they can give us now there's nothing for me there's nothing overly wrong with that i mean i want my friends to selfishly like me for whatever (laughs) but i don't think it's love so that quotes which is a paraphrase of lacan Mm -hmm. you know one way of describing it is you know you love somebody when you give them what you don't have and what you don't have is your lack what you don't have is your Pain, your difficulties, the, the stuff that, you know, not all your excess, but your inadequacies. Your inadequacies. Mm. And then nobody wants that really. So when, when you meet somebody who you can share those inadequacies with and they want them, they can take them on and even celebrate them and nurture them and, and hold a space for them, mm. then you can say, wow, that's a miracle. <laughs> that's love. Yeah. And that's why it's so rare to see. You know, that's so rare for us to experience. I think
2: so, that. because we, we want to always be the best version of ourselves, mm. right? And so, like, I, I know that with me and, and with any of my friends, like, I do want to be the best version of myself, but sometimes my expectation even for myself, or especially for myself, is is too high. And, and we all want to be, you know, perform at the level of a superhero, but that's yeah. not human. Yeah. And that's not love. That's not connection. That
4: is... Uh, performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, we all do it to a certain extent. It's, uh, it's kind of like the selfie phenomenon where you know, we take a selfie where we look hopefully pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it may be a, if we're into mountaineering or something like that, we'll show a selfie of us up a mountain or if mm-hmm. we like yoga or even a selfie where we're not even in it, but it kind of we take a picture of a cool car or some environment that reflects something of our values. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, when we do that, we're putting out an idealized version of ourselves. And, you know, there's no problems with that. People laugh and say, selfies are never just selfies. They're always for somebody else. But it would be much weirder if you just took selfies for yourself, if you just took selfies (laughs) and then put them in an album and then just looked at them on a Thursday evening and never showed them (laughs) to anybody else. You know, we want to project out these images. However, um, they also hide a lot and uh, they hide our insecurities and they hide our lack. And whenever you have a loving relationship, that lack is also able to be seen.
2: Yeah, and, and, and being vulnerable with the other person they appreciate you because of that. that. Because they get to see that other side that maybe the the world doesn't get to see because there's another side of it too. I mean, you see this sometimes online where uh, there, there's sort of this this the the vapid side of the woe is me and that's yeah. the other side yeah. of the 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 selfie, whether it's it's photo-based or textual, it's it's oh my god, my life is crumbling like constantly. Like it's the addiction to
4: to the suffering Absolutely. in a way and sharing the suffering. Which is which is the other side of the coin because it's only when you have an image of a type of perfection that you think you would like that you get depressed because you don't live up to it. Mm. If you can have a healthier view that we are all, I mean, basically all of us live between who we are and who we would like to be and between what we have and what we would like to have. We live in the space of the in-between. And the more we try to get the thing that we want and Mm. be the person that we want, the more depressed we are if we don't get it Mm. or the more melancholy we are if we do get it. Uh, You know, this idea that we live between depression and melancholy. Depression is the unhappiness of not getting what you want and melancholy is the unhappiness of getting what you want, right? Mm. Um, So we're in this interesting dilemma and the challenge is to break free of that entire f- way of thinking and therefore you get rid of both the excess of i'm incredible i'm brilliant you know fiction but also you get rid of this despair as well.
2: Which is a different Mm. kind of fiction. Yeah. Where everything is terrible. Yeah. And there's a a show that I've been watching now called uh, Better Call Saul. Are you familiar with this? With with Bob
4: Odenkirk? I know the original series of that. Breaking Bad. Bad, I haven't watched Better Call Saul.
2: This is like the really boring version of Breaking Bad is the way I (laughs) could describe it. But but there's sort of a lot of existential angst in, in, in the main character. But he's in a way addicted to Failure. I mean, uh, there's this line toward the end of the fourth season that just ended and uh, uh, where the main character is talking to his significant other and they're having this argument. He goes and she says something to him that is very poignant and, and but but pretty sharp. And he says, oh, sure. Kick me while I'm down. And she says, "Jimmy, you're always down." Oh yeah, very. Good. And, and and it's he's addicted to that that yeah. that despair, that yes. being down all the
4: time. This is this is by the way something we can't you know get deeply into it, but um, this is ubiquitous. This idea, I love what the phrase you used, addicted to what was it? Addicted being to failure, down. being down, addicted to failure It's like we think. Um, there's a common notion that human beings are you know selfish in a sense of they want the best for themselves you want to maximize your pleasure minimize your pain so utilitarianism but in psychoanalysis there is this insight that actually we're really bad utilitarians (laughs) that sometimes we can really want the worst for ourselves that we and gambling is a good example people think that gamblers are addicted to winning to be honest, most gamblers are addicted to losing. And um, what happens is, I don't know if you ever play poker or anything, but if you lose some hands, you, what happens is you go on tilt. And on tilt means you start betting more frantically. And part of the psychology of this is when you're losing, it makes the win seem even more incredible. Right. So mm-hmm. if, like if, if a gambler playing slot machines always won, It would be boring, right? You might win some money, but it would be ultimately really boring. (laughs) But the fact that you lose a lot, generates a fantasy that, oh, my goodness, if only I could win, then all of my problems would be solved. Wow. And so we weirdly get into this thing where we're addicted to the loss. It's the loss that generates the excessive attachment to some fantasy. Because it makes but, the
3: win that much better that for much us. That much better. Man, that is, an, that is an awesome perspective. If you were winning all the
2: time, though, all of a sudden, you're you're going to get bored and more mm-hmm. bored, and then you're going to get pissed off at some point because, like, uh, you, you never run into someone who you really respect and appreciate where you really look up to them and you say well what's your secret and they say well I'm just really great at winning I'd win all the time <laughs> yeah. I mean you see crazy people do that when when Charlie Sheen was having his famous meltdown like the hashtag winning like oh, yeah. you realize like that's not winning that is yeah. the that is the facade of of winning around a, a sort of crumbling interior
4: yeah we, we live in us in a weird frame in which in our society the losers lose doubly but even the winners lose um Mm -hmm. so i mean take uh, it's funny if you take an example of a prosperity church for example Uh and people sometimes ask why do people go to prosperity churches what like a joel Osteen? Osteen, the one person
2: you follow that's true it
4: is he is the (laughs) one person i follow i find it fascinating
2: (laughs) (laughs) actually i wrote down uh Peter why should I follow Joel Osteen on Twitter but I have too many questions to ask you so yeah. uh, we'll, we'll skip that one
4: yeah um, somebody actually created a Joel Rollenstein Twitter briefly oh, cool, where yeah. I, it mashed together Joel Osteen quotes and quotes from me it was very funny Well, the weird thing is like I, I heard in a most the most charitable sort of
2: uh, um attribution towards someone like a, a Joel Osteen and then we'll get back to the oh, I yeah. don't mean to cut you off oh, here no, no. but um the, the the most
4: the, the I'm out right of cha- here. I'm gone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the most charitable uh, uh, saying is that the, the uh, uh, Joel Osteen is sort of reparenting some people who maybe didn't have that sort of. You, didn't have exposure to those basic aphorisms when they were growing up, and I know I didn't. And it would but it was possible for me to, you know, Ryan and I grew up in probably nothing as troubling as the Troubles uh, uh, in, in Northern Ireland, wh- where you're from. The secret is in the
4: neum, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the troubles, <right>? yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: But but uh, we had our own troubles. We grew up in Dayton, Ohio. It's the overdose capital of America. A lot of drug and alcohol abuse in in our childhoods, and and uh, I know a lot of that sort of wisdom would have been helpful to us at the time and so in a way like it's almost as if he's like re-parenting and and there's a sort of infantilization that's going on in the congregations there but maybe it's maybe some of those aphorisms are are helpful but but also at the same time i I think that the infantilizing only goes so far to where it's um well you want to put your head through a wall
4: yeah yeah and yeah the question is to what extent does one and I'm talking about Austin here but does one keep people in that or to what extent does someone move somebody through that mm. and I think it's very important to meet people where they're at uh, but not keep them where they're at Yes. but um, the, the, the interesting thing about the prosperity church in general is of course there's lots of statistics to show it it doesn't work right mm. so people go well why do people go to a prosperity church if it doesn't work and the answer is you know, what we think the answer is is if I show you it doesn't work you'll go oh my goodness, you're right. Look, you know, people don't get wealthier in the church than in the wider community. It doesn't seem to have the effect. And so then once you're presented with the information, you'll go, all right, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. So the question, of course, is why does that not happen? And from a psychoanalytic perspective, it's actually because the very failure is what keeps you in the church. So basically, you continue to get this fantasy that if you got the money then you could get rid of all of your problems you could escape all of your suffering so you've got this incredible fantasy right if you got the money you would be confronted with the reality that it doesn't work right mm-hmm. the ho- so the very fact that it doesn't work keeps you going back so that you can continue to have this fantasy that that, that continues to drive you so if actually a prosperity church worked the prosperity church would shut down because you would get the million dollars and you'd go, oh, this gets me a nicer shower. Oh, this gets me a nicer mattress for my bed, right? Wow. Um, but, but it doesn't fix the existential angst. That's you know?
3: am- that, is, that is amazing. Well, I mean, it just makes me think how uh, re- uh, a lot of churches, not every single church, I don't want to like just make a broad sweeping oh, yeah, statement, yeah. but a lot of churches, it's like you, they make you feel guilty and then you, you, know, you go home and you try to like do the right thing And then you come back to church, they make you feel guilty again. And you go
4: home. It's like this vicious cycle of... Of failures almost yeah Yeah. and 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 we there's something in me that wants that so a good example would be say you go to a church Mm -hmm. and you're sitting there in the pew and you're going like i don't really feel that close to the absolute or god or whatever and and maybe if i read the bible more maybe if i prayed more or whatever maybe if i became an elder maybe if i became because all the elders there having cappuccinos with jesus in the in the (laughs) room out the back you know they must have it right? right so you've got this fantasy But then imagine you're the type of person who goes, right, I'm going to burn my record collection. I'm going to do the missionary work. I'm going to become an elder. What happens is you get to the center and you realize that the center is no better than the edges mm. so now you've been confronted with the fragmentation of that fantasy now the sad thing is at that point you probably have your pension and you're so you have to stay within it but but if you're in the pew you, you keep the fantasy alive that if i was if i was the pastor yeah. everything would be great but once you get to the center you realize the center doesn't hold Hmm. And uh, so this is what Oscar Wilde meant when he said there's only one thing worse than not getting what you want And it's getting what you want And of course because when you get what you want you realize it's not what you want. Mm. You know? I, I, when I came to America, because I, a family, an incredibly generous family who are deep friends of mine, they had a private foundation, and they uh, uh, offered me basically a patronage for three years. So I came to America, and that foundation supported my work for three years. I went from a, basically a squat in Belfast to, this, to, to America, and I was lent a house in one of the wealthiest places in America. And uh, I lived there for three years. So I was, a, I was around the people who, in a sense, had won, had mm-hmm. got the American dream. Mm-hmm. And these are people who had not, not millions, not tens of millions, hundreds of millions and wow. sometimes billions. Mm. And it was devastating for me, I, I, for me personally. But I also saw in that community some people who were very healthy and very happy and some people who were very disp- depressed and and in very difficult situations and so that's what I mean by even the winners lose Mm. the losers lose doubly because you can't eat you can't put food on your table you have to work too hard but if you ever got the, the lottery ticket win uh, you might realize that while it can help in some material ways, as I say, I slept, I had a shower that had two heads, two heads, I was lovely, mm. two-headed shower. It's like, oh, wow, money can get you a two-headed shower. That's brilliant, you know? <laughs> and, and, and the house was at a really good temperature all the time, uh-huh. and I loved that. But, you know, it doesn't take away from the trauma that is, that is humanity. It's because there are two types of trauma, the traumas that happen to us and the trauma that is us. There is a tra- there are traumas that happen in our lives and there is the trauma that is life itself mm. and we need to find another way to uh, tarry with that trauma.
2: Can, can you expand on on the, the distinction between the two traumas there because yeah. that's fascinating to me and I, I've uh, been doing some some deep dives in, into recent history and trying to uh, I've had some really, uh, significant health traumas in my life. Uh, a few years ago, I thought I was dying. I had just a bunch of really bad issues, uh, health issues going on that uh, I've subsequently fixed. But I, there is the sort of psychological residue of a lot of that. And some of it's uh, associated with, with geography, some of it's associated with certain people or whatever. And, and you know, trying to untether the, the, that residue from, the people or places is more difficult than just cutting a tether you know it's like it's trying to get the onion flavor out of the soup it's pretty difficult
4: yeah well that's a great example by the way and sorry to hear you had to go through that uh, but that's a great example of the difference um one way thing is so you had health problems Mm -hmm. and you were confronting the real possibility that you might die Mm -hmm. that is a trauma that happens to you that that hasn't happened to me in in the same way but then your doctor maybe says to you it's all right you're fine and then you're like okay so i'm going to live now if your doctor was a philosopher your doctor would say well no no no, you're still going to die no life is a terminal illness right Um, you're just not going to die of this that's the what's called the ontological dimension so the trauma the 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 kind of traumas that happen to us is oh my i nearly died i i had cancer um i nearly got hit by a car and then the deeper trauma of life is oh no matter what I do, I am facing death. Mm. And um, again, somebody might have trauma of like drug abuse or poverty in their past. That's a trauma that's contingent to your life. But then there is the trauma of just being human and having to work with a type of sense of existential lack that no matter what you try, no matter what car you buy, no matter what house you get, you can't get away from this, sense of meaninglessness mm-hmm.
2: that not, no matter how much you achieve uh, and especially in our culture, that's uh, that's the word. This whole minimalism thing resonates with with people. You know, Ryan and I, minimalism is basically the Trojan horse for us to talk about whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Because there's there's this this uh, in our culture, it's the trinkets of success that often come to the forefront. It's the the selfie of the expensive car and yeah. and uh, you know the, you talked about the prosperity church. It really it's the aspirational side of things that that draw people into it. But then also once you figure out like once you get there get halfway there for me it was working in the corporate world ryan and i grew up really poor but but we we and we had phenomenal success in our 20s climbing the corporate ladder and worked our way up to really high middle management and, and uh, <laughs> the,
4: dream. The, dream. <laughs> the dream middle management
2: <laughs> i oversaw an entire cubicle of, of my fiefdom yeah. and uh you know all these the, the, these people in these cubicles and and i managed all these retail stores and uh but the closer I got to the people I aspired to be like, yeah. I realized that like, wow, the, as I got closer, you know, the, the the image of them, I had a boss at one point who was on his second heart attack and third marriage and he just turned 50. Yeah, And it's like, well, wait a minute. If I work my butt off for the next 20 years, I could be just like him. I follow the same recipe, I'm going to bake the same
4: yeah, cake. Yeah, and th- that's, the, that's the example of even the winners lose. You guys... We're winning, sure. And even you, and you saw through it. You saw, oh my goodness, this system is the losers lose doubly. But mm. oh my god, even if I succeed within this frame, mm. I'm losing. And then you made a and minimalism became in philosophy is called the master signifier. What you mentioned, is, but it became the way to break that frame. So right. that's exciting Absolutely stuff.
3: Enough. You know, the biggest thing I'm getting from this this conversation is a how important it is to live in the moment. Like no matter where you're at in life, to to find some way to appreciate what you have, and then the other thing is, Josh and I talk a lot about lowering expectations but raising our standards, mm-hmm. and uh, when it comes to love, when you know that quote that uh, Josh brought up about you know giving something that you don't have to someone that doesn't want it, it's like you, well, the best way that I can explain it is like living in Los Angeles, my experience with it. It was really rough at first, yeah. and I was telling Josh about this. I'm like, dude, I love L.A., but L.A. doesn't really love me. Yeah. And he's like, well, what's wrong? I'm like, dude, I go to like coffee shop. Hey, how's it going? And they're just like, yeah, can I take your order, dude? Like, what, what, are, what drugs are you on? Why are you so happy? What do you want out of me? Who do you think you? I mean, there's like yeah. all these prejudgments. Oh, yeah. So Josh, he's like, dude, you have to, you have to turn it down. Or you need to turn it up. Yeah. So I said, "All right, I'll turn it up." Mm-hmm. So now, uh, when I have those moments where I walk in somewhere, and now, like I have my regular spots where, like, people, you know, they pretty much know me by now. But you know, I'll go somewhere. Hey, hi, hey, I'm I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you. How's your day going? And they kind of give me that. What do you want to do? What drugs you're on? I'll be like, <laughs> Can I take your order? You can't take my order, but first, I want you to tell me how your day is going. Like, I'll just, you know, I'll just yeah. be kind of silly and goofy. And I, I will express that, that you know, the kindness or the love that I feel yeah. without any expectation of getting it back. Yeah. And sometimes I don't get it back, and that's okay. But I will say that when I, A, like I'm in the moment with that love and I push through that barrier, um, I will have much better results and results that I didn't expect. So, you know, when Josh and I were having that conversation and he was like, yeah, I would recommend turning it down or turning it up. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first started turning it up, I just thought I'm just going to make an ass of myself now. Like when I go to different places, um, but I hear you're very good
4: at that. But yeah, I, I really am very very good at that.
3: Um, but it's but it turns out I'm about twenty percent good at that because the majority of the or ten percent. I mean, the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, when I push through that barrier without, so so I'm I'm living in the moment. I I am giving without any with any expectation of giving back. Um, that is that's raising my standard. That's what I mean. That's what we mean by raising our standard. My standard is be myself, be genuine, push through, be honest, um, and and be consistent. Those are my standards. I don't expect Josh to treat me any way if I act that way. I don't expect you to treat me a certain way if I act that way. Mm-hmm. But what happens is by by forcing, not forcing that, but by I guess pushing through that that um, the trepidation of of being ourselves. That truly, to me, is what uh, is, is what is freeing. I guess is yeah. is when you can you can again love without expecting to get loved back. Yeah. Um. And and you can uh, just yeah raise those standards and and keep the low expectations because, you know, with when you get when your expectations are so low, it's it's yeah. you're really surprised with the results you get a it, lot it, of it the is, times.
2: I think it's as long as those standards are high too. I, of course. I, the the you know uh, so we have Pete's book here, which you can't get unless you're a patreon supporter of his it's called enduring love because i think there's only 500 copies of the thing oh, yeah. but but like it would be it's great It's
4: called enduring love by the way because love is so difficult to endure <laughs> and because that's the thing we haven't got into is that love is um love is a very difficult it, it brings us to the heights but also the depths anyway keep well, going. well <laughs>
2: and the, the thing that, that that i think about with with a book like this it, with respect to Expectations versus standards. Like it'd be really great if all of a sudden this was it sold a million copies, a New York Times bestseller, like that. It, but if that's your expectation going into it, even if you get that, like that's going to feel fulfilling in uh, for a moment. But it's going to awesome. be fleeting. The standard is like, hmm. But can I can I write a, a book? And by the way, this is, has a bunch of you know, it's a uh, I, I guess you would call it like like comics or illustrations, but with like all of these little pithy. Um, uh, aphorisms parables etc um, about enduring love and the, the, the standard is like I'm going to put my best foot forward knowing that it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's not going to be the superhero version. Yeah. But I'm going. when you talk about living in the moment, I'm going to enjoy doing the actual work of right. creating this thing. Yeah. This is,
4: there's an interesting distinction uh, in uh, philosophy and psychoanalysis between pleasure and enjoyment. And so, of course, we use these words interchangeably in everyday life. But you can distinguish them by saying pleasure is the uh good feeling you get from say you know finishing the book mm-hmm. and enjoyment is the pleasure you get uh the 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 warm feelings you get from the work itself mm-hmm. so for a, at christmas time you see a kid waiting for their christmas presents and they almost hate it and they're jumping up and not having a temper tantrum and all of that but yeah. there's an enjoyment they can't wait to get the present that's right. enjoyment and then pleasure is the moment that you open the present mm-hmm. and we all know that that the the enjoyment is better than the pleasure right, right? that's what you when you buy a holiday you're not just buying a holiday you're paying for the fantasy of the holiday that's that's kind of folded into the money that's why you should never buy a holiday off the cuff uh-huh. or, or a lottery ticket your one dollar isn't for the win you're paying a dollar for the fantasy of the win mm-hmm. right so we, right. um, and so we often think that pleasure is the key the, the, the end, but actually we have to find how do we get um, a warmth and a depth from enjoyment, yes. which is the yes. struggle, and
3: that's where that's where love is. Because yeah. I, yeah. I think we those ephemeral things we mistake for love, but really love is that deep pursuit.
2: Yeah, I think about remember Ella on her my daughter's five now, but when she was when she was three, uh, for her birthday I got her a pineapple for her third birthday oh, nice. and it perfectly illustrates yeah. exactly what you're talking about there there was pleasure in the the opening of it but the the enjoyment was, was the anticipation she saw it rat and you could tell it was a freaking pineapple it was a it was a pineapple shaped present but like the, the 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 open it there was this sort of fleeting ephemeral thing but everything leading up to it yeah. that 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 enjoyment the anticipation uh was uh was really what the what was memorable of the experience
4: and and this can get us into actually an interesting critique of contemporary society and just very quickly um i think for many of us we we have an aim, oh, if only I had enough money, if only I was able to buy that house, you know, if only I was able to get X, Y, or Z, mm. then I'd be happy. And we're unhappy until we get it. Right. And the problem is, if we get the house, then we want two houses or four houses mm-hmm. or we want to move. We want a third yeah. head. Exactly. Exa- I wonder what that would be like. No, i have to try that. So um, what happens Yeah, is, we'll have to try that later. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> but the weird thing is, then what happens is, um, you don't enjoy your enjoyment. It sounds weird to say you don't enjoy the actual struggle of life, which is where all the... I mean, Camus talks about it being the rebel. The rebel, unlike the revolutionary, the revolutionary wants an end goal, a utopia, mm. and they're unhappy till they get it. Right. The rebel is the one who enjoys the work towards the utopia, realizing that they'll never get there. Yeah. And and basically, what I'm trying to do with my work is to is to show that... That this, it, and the only place in America I think this is understood is in sports, right? Because in sports, I noticed this, you know, in American football, right? Mm-hmm nobody ever wins right you're watching minority no. Pe- people win games but nobody ever wins american football like there's not a point when they do a super super bowl we finally <laughs> figure out who wins the, i guess they're playing for the ball or something right so yeah. they we, you, you this this team wins the ball then we finish football and we invent another sport right <laughs> it, it just goes on forever every four yeah. years is another super bowl or one year whatever um, and so it's like an it's, and it's funny because you go like, oh, sports people understand that actually the real enjoyment of sports is not the wins. If your team wins every game, we all know that that becomes very unenjoyable. Yeah, Like it becomes awful. You want your team to lose, to, you to, want to have struggle, struggle, to yeah. fight. There's a, there uh, has yeah. to
2: be a particular tension there. Otherwise, it... Yeah, it, 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 and we, we talk sometimes about friction, and, and and I think quite often we're looking for this frictionless life, but without friction, you have no traction to move forward. You're just mm. sort of slipping and sliding everywhere, yeah. and that's that's no good a, either. There's
4: it, a horror film. There was a horror film in the 1970s about this kid in this big building and this psychopath who um, was terrorizing the kid. And okay. uh, you know, It's a Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, right? <laughs> and in this crazy show... And obviously, Willy Wonka is the devil, right? And he is. This is
2: the only movie my daughter's ever seen. By the way, is that right? Yeah, wow, well, yeah. Yeah, that's terrifying. Did, that's one still. of the scariest. This scarier than she the, gets really scared by Frozen for some reason. Yeah. So, like, she just refuses to watch movies
4: now. Sorry. Yeah. Well, this is truly terrifying because what you discover—he's the devil at the end when he says when they're in the Wonka theater because he's very, um, very narcissistic guy. So everything's named after him, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's in the Wonka theater, and he says to Charlie. He says, he, he suddenly says to him, he gives the curse, he says, I don't forget what happened to the kid who got everything he wanted. Mm. And Charlie goes, what happened? And then a big evil smile. And Willy Wonka says, he lived happily ever after, right? Uh. Now, why is that a curse? Well, um, there's a beautiful, uh, do you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Yeah. yeah. There's no Twilight Zone of this, this bad guy, this criminal gets shot, he dies. He wakes up and there's this guy in a white suit and basically says, I'm here to welcome you to your new life. And the guy pulls out a gun, says, give me all your money. And this guy, Pip, laughs. He says, you can have all my money. In fact, come back to the house. I'll give you even more. (laughs) Anyway, they go back to this mansion, big mansion. And the guy says, "Okay, I want to see the money. Says, open that drawer. There's millions. He says, I I think you like gambling, don't you? So there's Rocky Valentine's, his name. He says, "You uh, you like gambling, Rocky? Yeah, let's go to the casino. And he wins every game. And anyway, Rocky's going like, this is a bit weird, you know, I, I think this is the afterlife and this is great. <laughs> and anyway, Pip goes away and, and two months later, Rocky Valentine calls Pip up and says, I'm cracking up. He says, he says, I go to the casino and all I do is win. So Pip says, well, what percentage of times would you like to lose? And he's like, no, no, no. He says, I'm cracking up. He says, I shouldn't even be in heaven. This is terrible. And of course, it's a twilight zone. Pip says, whatever made you think you were in heaven? Yeah. This is hell. Mm. And then it says, you know, Rocky Valentine is condemned so to live happily ever after. Um, so the, the idea that if, if you wanted to climb Everest, and you could immediately do it without the struggle and the training be and pointless. all that. It would be, and even worse, it would be hell. Yeah. A pleasure machine. And um, this, a, a, this is one of the problems where there's a thought experiment about if you could have everything you wanted, would that be better than being moral? But the point is, if you could have a pleasure machine, a virtual reality machine that gave you everything you wanted instantly, that would be horrific mm. that would be terrifying mm-hmm. it's actually the obstacle that really gives us the enjoyment in life well it's you going back to the football reference
3: um i, I do fantasy football so josh's sports basketball mine is american football mm. and i won last year and i won like with i think it was 11 one and one and i was just like i won those first like you know 10 games or something going undefeated and it was boring oh yeah, yeah and i'm like god like i wish that i you know get a little bit more competition but looking back and when i so <clears throat> when i won didn't feel that awesome. I mean, it was great because I think, you know, you put in 20 yeah, bucks. Passing
4: moment, the passing moment yeah, you want
3: 150 fun. bucks and I'm like, great, I'm the best fantasy football player, you know, out, out of these guys. But it's funny because winning didn't make me feel awesome. Uh, when I, uh, you know, the previous year where I finished second to last, I didn't feel awesome. I was jealous of, you know, the people who were ahead of me. Yeah. But the reason why I play fantasy football is because I love the research. I love digging into injuries and stats and I mean there's there's so much that goes into it than just, you know, picking people yeah. and trying trying to win games. And it, you know, just going back to that that pursuit. Yeah. So when I think about that win I had with fantasy football, it's not the win. It's not the winning the whole uh the whole tournament that yeah. makes me feel good what makes me feel good is that man I really did the work and I did the work I don't want to say better than other people but and of course you know in American football you get lucky a lot Hmm. but so I got lucky a few times but my my point is it was like when I look back it's not the it's not having that championship win on my belt it's about that work that I put into it, because you're right, if I could just stand up for a fantasy football league and then I'm automatically declared the winner, it's, again, it would pointless. be
4: pointless. Yeah. There's, the, there's a philosopher and um, uh, literary theorist called Rene Girard, very good theorist, and he has this beautiful... Uh, story and and basically this sums up something that sounds weird when you first say it which is when people win all the time you will generally find that they will self-sabotage at Mm. some point they'll either become a shoplifter and you go why are they shoplifting when they've got everything they want or they'll bring out a terrible album whenever you know they don't have to and so why is it that success breeds self-sabotage and René Girard has a beautiful example of a guy in a stony field and he, he believes that there is a treasure under one of the rocks. So he goes through the field, always overturning the rocks to find the treasure. And then René Girard says, eventually, this man will seek out a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it. And what René Girard means is he says that when you keep, you know, either uh, missing, not getting what you want, or I mean, you could almost make it a different analogy that under every rock there's treasure, right? Is that you keep getting success,
5: mm.
4: you lose you lose the struggle. You lose the, the fantasy. So what eventually you will do is you will try to find an obstacle that you cannot get beyond. Mm. So uh, making money is a good example. If you give yourself to making money, 1 million, 10 million, 100 million, there's no limit Mm -hmm. to, there's no way for an amount of money that fixes it. So eventually what you'll do is you'll set yourself maybe a target or an obstacle so heavy that you'll never be able to reach it because you're frantically wanting to not get what you want oh. that's, that's what we don't understand is we think we frantically want what we want no we frantically want to not get what we want mm. to keep the fantasy alive Good. so we are in this very difficult position Schopenhauer called it he says human beings oscillate between pain and suffering and boredom, hmm. this, the suffering of not getting what you want and the boredom of getting it. Uh, now, I he's do believe right? He's the most pessimistic philosopher you'll ever read. It's very fun to read him. He's, uh, he's very funny. German? Uh, yeah, German, okay. German pessimist. Very, very good philosopher. Oh, dark, dark, dark. But <laughs> there is, I believe, a way to get out of this frame. I think what you're doing is a theory and a technology to do sure. that. Parotheology is what I do, is a theory and a technology to break this frame. But... You know, we may not get to how to break it in this session, but at least we can isolate what the problem is, and that's the problem. Yeah. Well,
2: it, it reminds me of, what Ryan and I, we were just playing ping pong for our, our YouTube audience right before this, right when you came in. And yeah, I was watching. We, we ended up tied because they, they made us stop playing because it was midday, and there's apparently ping pong hours downstairs. And, um, anyway, like, we are about, we're, we're both aggressively mediocre is how I describe our, our playing at ping pong. Yeah. But, like, we are about the same exact skill level and that's what makes it interesting because I know that half the time I'm probably going to lose. Yeah. Um, I'm the, the achiever of the relationship. So 51% of the time I win, but I think it's
3: because 1% of the time Ryan sort of lets me <laughs> to, <laughs> that's not to, true. To, Yeah. yeah to, to keep the dynamic going. I think what ha- honestly, I think what happens when we play ping pong and I don't know if there's a metaphor with, with this, but usually the person who cares less about that particular game is who's going to lose. Yeah. Because I know that's when I lose is when I'm like, you know what? I really don't care about this game. It's no, like
2: <laughs> it's the opposite.
3: <laughs> Whenever I care too much about it is when I lose. Oh,
2: interesting.
4: You have to hold it with a certain lightness. Yeah, yeah. But, and I think
2: that, that, that actually lends itself to our personalities. Um, uh, you know, on the, with the Enneagram, I am a, I'm a three and yeah. Ryan was a, a seven? seven. Yeah. And... Um, you know, he, Ryan's just very carefree, living the moment. Oh, what everyone else wants to be happy. I'm like, yeah, I want people to be happy as long as I win. Um, <laughs> but, but also recognizing the downsides to, to both of those, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and realizing, like, okay, I might have a particular predisposition, but I, I, I can uh, climb over the prison walls that I've built for myself
3: as well. You know, it's interesting, man, because talking about these struggles that people consistently put themselves into or like self sabotage, there is some certainty. In this right like when I think about people who um, family friends whoever reach out to me for help on a regular basis there they have they experience the same problems a lot. I'm trying to not like not bash my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Because I'm really not bashing them, but but there is this there's a cycle. i the
4: them before we started recording right. and uh, yeah, they're pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but but you know, the, the the thing is though is when I look at someone who is constantly self-sabotaging or they're constantly making the same bad choices, well You know, there is some control in that. They know the result that they're going to get. They know they're going to fail. So, uh, I I think that's an aspect of um, just how 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 important certainty is in our lives. Um, When I think about the the you know the journey versus the end goal, it's almost like instead of instead of aiming for success instead of aiming for the perfect life instead of aiming for the perfect amount of stuff or whatever it is it's like we have to really look at the journey we want to choose in our lives. And, and there's going to be multiple journeys. Yes. I, I mean, it's not, you just don't choose one journey. And that's, you know, that's a fallacy too. We feel like, oh, we got this one journey and this is what we're going to do and be yeah. passionate about the rest of our lives. I was
2: born to be an astronaut or I was born to be whatever. Now, do you think that some of those uh, people that, that you're talking about, friends, family, et cetera, who, do you think maybe they're, they're addicted
3: to the, the self-sabotage, addicted I, to the I failure? Think, I think they're addicted to certainty. I think that someone who is constantly self-sabotaging themselves, especially someone who is making the repeated bad decisions. Yeah. They
4: it's the gambling. Yeah. They're addicted to the losing. Yeah, I mean, sometimes this, this is fascinating. Uh, the term Making Love is a good example of this, right? Because when you think about Which, love... Which, by
2: the way, he, he is a, a new film. Is it is Patreon supporters get it soon? Soon, and then it will okay.
4: eventually come out for everybody else. It's you called filmed, Making Love. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, it's called Making Love. But can you talk about the title? Because it's not what people would often think about. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's also a commentary <laughs> called A Guide to Making Love, if you want to watch that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... We'll put a, Sean, put a link to A Guide to Making Love in the show notes. And you can yeah. find all this at his website as well, Peter you Robbins. If you put that that
4: in your tags You'll definitely get A lot more listeners A lot more people will search I I realize a lot of people Are searching for guides To making love As I discovered Um, This uh, isn't at all What I thought it was Yeah Uh, I know They're very disappointed Um, So yeah uh, The making love The the phrase is Two people don't make love Basically right We think that two people Make love But actually you need A third person To make love Traditionally I (laughs) told
2: you You've been doing it wrong Yeah
4: (laughs) This is the mistake You've been making I've been telling Rebecca this yeah. every day oh my listen God. if you want to give me a call sometime <laughs> that's fine you know i'll keep my calendar open <laughs>
0: she loves irish accent uh, so, yeah i like, not gonna work oh out my i God. practice
4: it every day so <laughs> um, yeah basically like the old school idea was you would go uh, on a date and you'd have a chaperone with you right and today we think the role of the chaperone is to stop people doing something untoward but actually, the original role of the chaperone was to get you to start fantasizing about what you could do if the chaperone wasn't there to stop it. Mm. So the oh, chaperone, right. yeah. the chaperone was making love, right? So
3: Ryan, you went through this. That's um, great. Uh, uh, you grew up Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, it just totally reminded me of that. Where growing up, they encourage a chaperone on dates yeah. because you know they don't want the kids to fornicate or whatever. Mm. So they've got uh, they've got a a chaperone there to basically. Uh, you know, because they're not going to start making love in, yeah, in front of this yeah. this third person. But um, yeah, yeah, I I I, uh, I totally agree sorry, with you. It's like that shap- like- the chaperone. What it's doing is is it is it's telling it's putting a restriction yeah and and when you put restrictions on things it just makes you want to do them even yeah. more
4: yeah generate stuff i mean here's a great example in america you guys created a technology to help young people have sex and i'm interested in like why you did that in the 20th century in a society that is very permissive basically it's like it's a, it's a ring that you put on your finger and it's it's basically then stops you from having sex so you basically put it on and says i will not have sex until i'm married right (laughs) so what that does is it then makes sex really exciting Mm -hmm. so then you're more likely to have sex and i'm like oh of course of course the technology would be invented here because whenever there's no prohibition sex becomes worse. if you don't want your kids to have sex talk about it all the time mm. Oh, what did you do what where did she touch you where did he touch you can here's a diagram can you show me <laughs> if you do that your kids aren't going to <laughs> have, you have sex you late tonight? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's going to put them off for life yeah um, so there's a certain sense in which uh prohibition and obstacle generates something exciting. Mm. And when people self-sabotage, it's often because they are frantically and, and in an unhealthy way trying to bring obstacle back into existence. Mm. That's why a lot of people have affairs. If you take I, I, I know a couple who had an affair, um, call them Jack and Jill. I think I talked about this in the Rob Bell podcast as well. But basically they were married for a lot of years and the sexual desire had diminished. Uh-huh. And they, you know, they were friends but nothing else. And then he ended up having an affair with somebody else, right? A very brief affair. It was found out. She, the wife, was very upset. He was kind of going like, yeah, well, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. So he got ready to move out. So there you have an example where he's having an affair and he's saying to the woman, if only I wasn't married, we could be together, Mm -hmm. right? If only I didn't have this and that. Now it's the opportunity. If you're an alien from outer space, you'd be like, oh, they're going to break up. She doesn't like the husband. The husband doesn't really like the wife. He wants to be with Snow White color, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But a week later, Snow White's out of the picture and the husband and the wife are sleeping together again, still annoyed with each other about having sex and planning a holiday. Now, why is that? Well, partly because in this example, the guy is an obsessive neurotic and the woman's acting as a hysteric neurotic so for an obsessive the only way to keep desire going is you desire what you don't have mm-hmm. so he was desiring snow white because he couldn't have her it's called the uh, object of desire is what you want and the object cause of desire is what makes you want it right so he can't be with snow white the object of his desire because of his relationship. As soon as the relationship ends and he can be with Snow White, he no longer desires her. Mm. And then for the woman, she can only desire what is under threat of being taken away. So for her, the object of desire is her husband, the object cause of desire is Snow White. So what happens is this couple is unconsciously, frantically trying to find a way to get their desire going again. Mm. And this is the way that it's, and of course the truth is, this has happened about three or four times, right? This is very common. Now consciously, it's all a mess, but unconsciously, they're all trying to to keep desire alive, because desire is what makes us human. Now of course there's healthier ways, it motivates us. There are healthier ways to do this, but you've got to understand that, for example, some people, Some people go like, you're very jealous. You shouldn't be jealous. But some people can only love when they're jealous. Mm -hmm. They can only desire what they're jealous of. So if you got rid of the jealousy, you'd get rid of the desire. Um, All of this is just to say that if you don't find a healthy way of enjoying struggle... If you don't find a healthy way of having um, antagonism in your relationship, you will find unhealthy ways of expressing that struggle and that antagonism, and the unhealthy ways will will destroy you. I love that.
2: I think I I accidentally stumbled into one of these healthy ways in my own in my own relationship. Um, So Rebecca and I spend about every other week apart from each other, and um, just because of, of circumstances, she has to go back and forth from from Montana because our daughter's biological father is in Montana so like we spend a considerable amount of time apart now we're both introverts which makes it pretty uh uh sustainable for us but what i've realized in doing that like there is this tension that builds up and that week away where i'm like i can't believe we have to spend this time apart but it builds up that desire yes, again Exactly,
4: the distance is making love uh, yes
2: know. yeah yeah and so so the the uh, the other thing that came to mind was um my mother was a nun, well uh-huh. before me, and my father was not a priest, um, but um, in in. I, she she talked to me like it was in her early 20s it was almost like she decided to go do that instead of like you know how young men joined the military for four or five years yeah. uh she was like
3: oh, the army well, she, you, the, you didn't
2: yeah. join the military back then as a woman back in the 60s but um <laughs> she just you know joined the convent and, and became a nun and uh she's like she's the the prohibition on sex was like driving her crazy she used to Uh, masturbate to the the statue of Jesus on the crucifix which was like the strangest metaphor it seems like (laughs) something out of a David
3: Lynch film yeah but there's only two mothers I know that would be comfortable enough sharing that information <laughs> know, with I their, their son I, like, oh, yeah, I haven't had that conversation with my mom yeah. that's his mom and mine my, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my mom was totally fine with, with uh, uh, communicating about her <laughs> she sex was life very,
3: she was very open
2: yeah she had yeah. me late in life too but so so she was very open w- w- with those those kinds of details but th- it, what you're talking about there is like in a way like that restrict that that's like the sort of the ultimate restriction you know putting the, the veil on so to speak quite literally in, in, in this case
4: and and that's where the restriction be- actually becomes the sexual out- outlet and you, you get this actually within and I'm not saying this is what your mum's into being a nun but within the fetish community mm. where someone where the sex actually isn't the issue is where the sexes the sexuality is in the prohibition mm. so it so it, within fetish communities often it's it's pro, prohibition that that actually it's not that the obstacle generates the desire to have sex the obstacle and sex are intertwined in one, and so the, the object- the cultural and object.
2: prohibition there, like right. I mean, because part of it is like, well, this is naughty, and that's that's what's one of the reasons we're doing it. But then also the the prohibition of of the act itself, right? Yes. So there's like a double prohibition there.
4: Double prohibition, and, and it's basically prohibition on steroids. It's when it's it's actually whenever the prohibition becomes the sexual act, right. um, and that's a whole interesting area in itself. But in religion, you see it as like a lot of mystical experiences are very sexual you know if you look at some of the the pictures of the the mystics um i'm trying to think of is it julian of nars there's, there's various female mystics for example who it looks like they are having an orgasmic experience in front of the crucifixion you know it's mm. a very common kind mm. of thing they're not very common, but it's a common theme within mysticism okay. so yeah it's kind of fascinating i oh,
2: think yeah. we should dive into some of these questions yeah. what do you think about that yeah man all right our first question today is from brit in toronto
4: Over the years, I've tried to perfect the art of relationships, and I think it backfired because currently, I am staying out of relationships because I can't figure out how to break this pattern I have with my partners, where I will do what I can to make them happy, and it gets to the point where they kind of get everything they want and they kind of get sick of it Um, I think it's kind of similar to eating your favorite dessert every day of the week Um, it kind of loses its value you kind of don't want to look at it anymore Um, now I've made sure that I spend time by myself um, doing my own things it's very important to be your own person Um, but what do you do when you get really good at making your partner happy and then you kind of ruin the happiness for them
2: so
3: Perfect. <laughs> we're we're always chasing perfect, aren't we?
2: Yeah, that that word is the word that stood out to me. Uh, Pete, she she says she's uh, she's trying to perfect the art of relationships, and sometimes that like we have this uh, sort of idealized version of of something, and also like that I eh, not even ideal, but the perfect version, and then of course ideal changes over time too, right? I'm actually reminded of this this little New Yorker cartoon that I that I cut out here. There is a butterfly. Uh, and and well if those of you on YouTube I'm sure Jordan'll put this up on on the YouTube channel but the caption at the bottom says look i still fit into my old caterpillar skin and like there's this butterfly who's like like trying on trying on the past to to a certain extent mm. and as opposed to to maybe learning from from the past mm. and 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 so it sounds like there are some lessons to be learned from the past relationships here with with Britt. what do you think Pete
4: yeah, I mean, I that was a fast, brilliant question. Fits so neatly with some of the things we talked about. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I, if I knew... Is Brittany, is that her name? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Britt. If, if I knew Brit, you know, I, first of all, I'd be interested to find out if she felt that she needed to be the object for their her mother's satisfaction or her father's satisfaction. Because sometimes... We replay, it's called transference, we, we take our earliest relationships and we replay them in the present. So if a child feels that they have to satisfy all the desire of their mother or their father, that can play out in how they relate to later relationships. So that's a question for Brits to ask. I don't know what the answer would be, but that's a good question. That's a great place to start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because so
2: let's assume it's it's uh, father in this case, right? Um, and we can go through both scenarios here. What uh, what what right, she were to say? Well, yeah, um, my father. Um, my father um,
3: never accepted me. He never really showed me love. Or so I felt like I always needed to yeah, he, prove he, my adequacy. He always he uh, he always told me how I was inadequate. Right. So uh, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Or in a very basic, because this is weirdly one of the. One of the uh, uh, things that we have to overcome when we're young is it's actually quite, can be quite suffocating if. W- if our parents actually give us the feeling that we are their everything mm. and uh, or that we can if you, or if your parents are unhappy that you think if I can fill that lack I can be the object of their desire
2: it's an expectation you it's have to live up yeah. to
4: and, and it may not even be the parents that have you know created it because it's a very natural thing for us to desire yeah. but if we get into that frame of mind then we think of ourselves as the object of the other's desire and mm. we're always trying to find a way to fulfill that um, and you ne- you never can. Yeah. Now, the, the reason why you never can is because people's desires oscillate and change and um, a parent who basically makes you think that you are their everything um, it just as I say causes certain problems in the future hmm. um, but also then in terms of the reason why this doesn't work in relationships is because as we've just talked about is we don't want everything we do want the other person to try to be everything for us it's a fantasy but actually in reality um that extinguishes desire
2: we don't yeah. want what we think we want.
4: Yes, that's always key. Is like, And that's why I find it funny when people ask me, even like, what do you believe? As if we know what we believe. My goodness, we have no idea what we believe. Like, do you believe saying God or do you believe? Like, nobody, nobody believes in a duvet cover or protects you from a knife attack or makes you invisible to an enemy. But if you hear a creak downstairs, you get all Harry Potter and put it over your head, right? <laughs> you do believe it, you just don't know it, right? Uh, very few people believe in ghosts until yeah. they hear a tapping outside the window and then they're terrified. So we actually have all sorts of beliefs we're not aware of, Uh and we have all sorts of desires that we're not aware of. So the big thing for Brit is for me, just I would, if I knew her and we're talking to her, be to try to work out whether she has this sense in which she needs to be the object of the other's desire, Mm -hmm. And that can actually be suffocating for both parties.
2: So so it mm. sounds to me like when she says that she's constantly trying to make them happy, it's this has caused her to start staying out of relationships now. And that that the The men that she's with are getting everything they want. What you're saying is maybe that is suffocating them or or uh if you pan out it's suffocating the relationship yeah. in a way it's and it's it's self destructive it's not
3: intentionally self destructive or but maybe it's subconsciously self destructive yeah. well, I, know, I know in past relationships where I've had uh the you know my partner go out of their way to just give me every single thing that I wanted. I can remember one with you in particular. Where,
2: yeah. And I obviously, I won't say, say the person's no, no, name, no. but it was a great relationship, but... Until it, it wasn't. Right. It was like, if I just kept took this water and kept pouring it into your glass, like you need
3: more water. It's, it's overflowing. Yeah. With, but it's actually creating a mess. The, yeah. o- the other piece of it too is I want to be in a partnership. Mm-hmm. I want to be a team. I want to... Um, live life together i yeah. don't want to have an extension of myself yeah. i don't want to have a third arm or you know a, a second brain that that i can attach. i mean I, I really want someone who is confident someone who is uh willing to stand up for themselves and and to a large extent uh that's great that they know what i want but i want them to know what they want also yeah. Yeah. so I, I think the other thing too is with um the, i don't think it's a relationship you're thinking of there's another relationship this um <laughs> I, I definitely won't say the name her uh i was dating this girl for like three weeks
4: jessica no yeah <laughs>
3: and her mom called me three weeks into it yeah. it was like you know so-and-so's really upset right now and i'm first off i'm like your mom's calling me you're like what? her mom's calling me telling me she's upset like i have no idea where this is going and she was like she's really scared that you're gonna break up with her and it's funny because that phone call is what made me break up with her. Mm. There's this. Uh, go ahead. I let you keep going. With it. Uh, I mean, I don't think I really had much more to add there, but uh, just there's a level of immaturity that happens when, when someone, um, it's a feeling of immaturity. I'm not saying it is immaturity, but like that that example where her mom called me, like which is perfectly fine. She's sticking up for her daughter. She's worried about her daughter, but. Like that, uh, that phone call that she, that her mom calling me and saying, "Oh, you know, she's where are you gonna break up with her?" Like that to me is a feeling of immaturity. It's the same thing with the girl that I I think you're thinking about. Uh, there is a level of um, just this feeling of immaturity when someone is constantly giving 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 giving. they don't know what they want themselves they just know that they want to give to you as much as they can um it's or maybe maybe it's not immaturity it's uh underdeveloped or not fully developed maybe yeah. you know, a way of looking at it
4: i, I by the way I, I think um there's a great book called on being normal and other disorders and i love the title <laughs> because a great title. yeah it's a great title because i think that e- like if you're normal for example you do everything right that's weird <laughs> I mean, if you if you have the job nine to five and you wear the suit and you do everything in a very regimented way, that's uh-huh. a really weird form of mental illness. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So in one sense, we're all e- we're all messed up in different ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is just a this is just what this person is having to deal with. And because mm. here's the thing, the most precious thing in the world. right? The most what is it? What is the most precious material in the universe? And. Mm. Um, well platinum platinum (laughs) there we go there we go um it's desire Hmm. what do we desire we desire the desire of the ones we desire so what what is most important
2: that's a minimal maximum right there
4: (laughs) yeah yeah but it's so true that what we desire is the desire of the ones we desire that's so important to us even when we're fantasizing about being wealthy or being famous you got to understand that we're fantasizing for somebody else who is it our mother, our father, our siblings, our enemies at school. who is it who we would either want them to see us famous or you know, because they would enjoy it or because they'd hate it, right? We fantas our our fantasies are never private. They're yeah. always for someone else. It's always good to ask who are you fantasizing for? so so so, so
3: um, once we once we cause it makes me think about my own self, where yeah. um I'm so like I've never been happier. I've never felt more purposeful. I just I, I, I'm gonna I really love who I am today. Um, someone has to yeah right exactly (laughs) uh but but you know i've got i've got mom and dad issues where like they i could walk on water and they would you know they they would have something to say about it Uh, that water's not wet enough right exactly
4: water's not deep enough (laughs) there's a bit multi python sketch on
3: that (laughs) (laughs) but but you know i guess um because it's it's making me do some self-reflection here because i know that there's got to be a piece of that where i'm constantly trying to Uh, Live up to someone's standards now. I I have been able to work through and kind of you know Let go of those expectations let go of the relationship that I really really want to have with my mom or the relationship that I really really want to have with my dad. It's it's not gonna happen It's not gonna happen in my lifetime and that and and I have totally got past that Mm -hmm. but I guess um I don't know how I got there. So I I guess what I'm asking you is like so once someone Finds that person that they're really trying to please how do they?
4: How, how can they move past that, I guess? Yeah, and that's the key. So for maybe for someone like Brit, I don't know that, because we, to desire the desire of the one you desire, desire is different from satisfaction. In fact, satisfaction destroys desire. Whenever you give someone everything they want, you get rid of their desire. Then mm. they become, oh, I've got everything I want, right? So... Uh, what happens unconsciously is maybe you know Brit is trying to evoke the desire of the other mm-hmm. by thinking that by giving them everything and that it's providing will providing the satisfaction yes.
2: that that is then destroying the relationship.
4: Yeah. So so what you kind of almost have to do is going like, well, Brit doesn't have to change anything. She can still want to give the other person exactly what they want. What do they want? They want desire. <laughs> so mm-hmm. in other words, you have to build in. Um, some sort of struggle and impossibility and antagonism yeah. to the relationship, but it, it can't be helping. too
3: much struggle either. Yeah, because C- yeah. it's crazy. Like when we, going back to the you know parents who raise someone uh, with everything that they want. Oh, yeah. like so that's going to create. Um, it's probably not the most developed I or don't, i don't know what word i'm trying to use a mature person but the same thing holds true on the other end of the spectrum if a parent doesn't give a child yeah. anything yeah. then that's also going to cause some kind of underdevelopment, immaturity so there is finding this balance of of the healthy the healthy desire
2: yeah healthy attention um, is, is
3: really where i was going with that mm-hmm. uh, there there's
2: the healthy tension builds the the desire right I, yeah, think of, yeah. I think of the two best relationships i've ever had in my life the two times where i felt like i've been in love Um, and one was with Colleen who I wrote about and everything that remains and like that's exactly what happened i reached this, this level of sort of peak satisfaction mm. and it was this amazing relationship and if you put the pros and cons on a on a sheet of yeah. paper you intellectualize the, the thing it would have been like well of course this is amazing and this is going to last forever yeah. uh and and of course the the what left well and i didn't know this and at the time but what left was the desire and i, I got to this place where i'm like almost like i felt this this uh, well the melancholy you d- you described be- before where it was like i got what i want and God. this isn't sad satis- this is satisfying but that's it right yeah. and i've lost the desire in fact th- there's this 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 other new yorker cartoon my the second one i found today and, and that was sort of the problem like w- doing the if I were to put all the data on the spreadsheet and intellectualized that relationship and be like, well, what's wrong with you? Mm. And, and, and I, I, this was perfect. There's a lifeguard who's yelling at a person who's drowning in the ocean, right? So we'll show that on, on YouTube here. But uh, the lifeguard, instead of going to save the person who's drowning... Um, uses a bullhorn, and, and the caption here is, just says, "Remain calm and list your goals in order of priority." <laughs> <laughs> and like, like that's it, <laughs> you, you're intellectualizing like uh, a process that requires the actual the something that goes deeper than that. That there's this this emotion that you're missing from if you just look at the the, the sort of data. It's like looking at a a rainbow in grayscale. Yeah,
3: mm. yeah, well, yeah, it's inter- that, So for me what that cartoon represents is sometimes, you know, like you can read any, you know, every single Tony Robbins book that you want. You could read every, you know, self motivating book that's out there. But sometimes people are legitimately drowning and and they just need to uh put aside the self help for a second mm-hmm. and just focus on getting above water. Yeah. And and you know, metaphorically, like you know, that's it's easy, but for for uh, you know, in practice it's going to be a little different for everyone who, who kind of feels like they're drowning. So, yeah. so
2: maybe, what do, maybe what do we do to, to sum up Britt's question here? What do we do to to inject that healthy tension into a
4: relationship? Yeah. Um, okay, that's difficult. By the way, just one thing on the self-help stuff, which yeah. I love, is grace, I think, is in a sense the great... Um, Opposite of self-help. How do
2: you define grace?
4: So grace, I use Paul Tillich. I think said it very well, which is to accept that you're accepted. So it's not a religious term or anything like that. As such, it is merely a sense in which you're able to you experience an acceptance of yourself. In other words, self-help is going like you know, take step two, step three, step four, step five. Grace is this weird moment that we get very occasionally where you go, I don't have to judge myself, condemn myself. I, I can face myself. And the weird thing is, when you are able to make space for yourself, mm-hmm. that real change can happen. Like in AA, before you do the 12 steps, mm-hmm. there's step zero. And step zero is grace. It's where you sit in the room where people accept you and don't ask you to change. Mm-hmm. And you can be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, only when you can do that, can you make progress. So for Britt or me or you guys, anybody, the first experience is to go, I've got ghosts as in I've got things that I've repressed a ghost is the presence of an absence Mm -hmm. so we're all haunted houses we've got ghosts of those we've loved and lost those we've hurt those who have hurt us Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thing is to go I, I need to I need to look at those ghosts because there there's like for obsessives they're condemned to, as soon as they get to know somebody, they stop desiring them. So a typical obsessive, they can only desire what they don't have. But a typical hysteric can only desire when they give themselves up completely, when they disappear. So you know someone who always brings gifts all the time, give themselves completely to their kids to the point that they disappear entirely. Mm -hmm. And those are two very damaging forms of relating to the world. And I think the first step for anybody is to stop and to go, why is it? That I am afraid of myself, or I'm afraid of encountering the other, and that's grace. And it's very hard to find. It's very hard to experience that. Yeah. But um.
2: And then what do we do to build in build in some some tension here? Healthy I mean, tension. I, mm. I think I think it's mm. first recognizing the need for it because quite often we want to eliminate it like Mm, anytime there's any friction at all it's like get this out of here i want this to be ideal i want it to be perfect i want it to be stepford yeah but that's when the satisfaction overwhelms you until you're no longer satisfied
4: exactly like well here's the thing i would love to see a marriage right Where, because here, how do you make an engagement romantic, right? Because everybody's trying to do it, like fireworks and get a, you know, a ring and a pie or I don't know, whatever.
3: Look how much Um, debt I have for this wedding. Yeah,
4: (laughs) But but I I understand that we're frantically trying to make engagements romantic because we've taken the one thing away from engagements that makes it romantic. The most romantic thing about an engagement is that to be engaged is utterly ridiculous, terrifying and horrifying, right? Mm. The idea that that you would impose yourself for life on somebody you like is horrible. I mean, that's Mm. disgusting to think that you would impose yourself, not even an enemy, but someone you actually care about. And secondly, most marriages don't work, right? Mm. Even the ones where people don't separate are usually a disaster. Now, I think this is what makes marriage wonderful, because imagine you're about to get married, and I say to you, I am from the future, and in the future you guys break up, and it's a disaster. In fact, I've even got a DVD or whatever memory stick with <laughs> with the with, with the <laughs> moment these guys break up. So it's not even you know statistically probable. I'm saying it's going to be a disaster, and you're going to use your kids to fight among each other. If you then turn around and say, "Yeah, but I want to do it anyway," that's love, right? Mm. So, it's so in one sense, I want a marriage, which kind of where the the pastor says you're doing something utterly ridiculous. This is insane. The you, the probability is within five or 10 years, you won't just dislike each other. You'll hate each other more than you hate anybody else in the world. Mm. And that's what makes it beautiful oh. because you're willing to take that risk. You're willing to jump into it 100%. Yeah. But that kind of marriage rarely happens in our society because the marriage is seen as the goal. And and this not the struggle, but kind of the, the achievement of the end. Mm. So for, for all of us, Brits, how, how do we ritualize? The reason why I'm using a marriage is because a marriage is a ritual that is designed to embody a mode of existence. So how do we find rituals that, that actually help us to understand that relationships are a struggle, are a nightmare, are probably well worth avoiding and that's why you should jump into them. Mm-hmm. You know, Brit said she's taking some time out that's fine we all need to do that but you know what she's she's already had the insight she's had the insight that relationships are a nightmare Mm -hmm. now she just needs to take the second step and go and that's why they're worth jumping into Mm. and you have to endure the love yeah Yeah. because and this is the comic but the graphic novel you know is it's all about because this is it's a set in the lonely forest a place called the lonely forest It's, it's very close to the hundred acre wood but lesser known and it's all of these little animals who are trying to endure love Uh, They are trying to endure the sufferings and the joys of love. It's very dark and depressing, but it is to to show that love is so difficult to endure, and yet love is what brings a depth and a density and a complexity to our existence. Mm -hmm.
2: The relationship I'm in right now with with Rebecca is the most difficult relationship I've ever been in, and it's also the best relationship I've ever been in. Yeah. Uh, part of it has to do with just pre-existing circumstances. Uh, we both bring baggage to the table, obviously, because you know we're we're in our mid to late thirties, and and so like you 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 come to the table with your own past, right? And instead of trying to ignore that, you you recognize it, and you can even celebrate it in a way that says, okay, I, I'm I am perfectly imperfect. I am. i'm all of these pieces you know i'm i'm giving what i don't have to someone who doesn't want it but you're willing to take it anyway yeah and you're willing to endure
3: this relationship otherwise like it's it's just perfect and i'm gonna hate it so we have given brit the most perfect answer right now she's gonna dive back into these relationships what happens when the next one fails how do we how do we encourage her to to embrace the failure
4: yeah, I mean it's it's really tough. I mean, um, yeah. The, how do you endure the horror of love? How do you cope? How do you find life after death? I mean, yeah, the only the only thing I can say, and no one, will, I don't believe this. I don't believe it is. It? But, it, but it is that when you're I in just that, know it to be true. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's probably a nice way to put that it. That is uh, Tweet that. Is that thankfully we can all change the past. This is a wonderful thing, um, is that it's also terrifying, but we are... we. It's not just that we can... Are you talking
2: in, about deleting old tweets? Uh,
4: yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. I've <I'm> got <laughs> a DeLorean. Um, uh, we have... Uh, but we have we can not only can we influence the future, we can change the past. and what I mean by that is if someone is in the dark, darkest despair, and for twenty years they have been in the darkest despair and they haven't met anybody and they're like, "I've just wasted twenty years of my life." Uh, if you meet somebody, for example, um, it can rewrite the past suddenly the past is this waiting period for this moment. it becomes the Old Testament prophecies of this event in your life, and it re reprograms and recodifies the past. And so what I always want to say to people is in the pits of despair, I know it's hard to believe, but when you find something that you love in the present, it can also recodify and transform the past. Mm. So your past is never unredeemable. In mm. fact, your past So, you know, your past is always redeemable. You have not mm. lost anything. But so that event, that event will not just change your future, it will change your past. So keep going, keep open. Yeah. And it's tough. You know, um, man, I've ADD, I got two thoughts going on.
3: Well, just to bounce off of what you were saying, the interview you did with Rob, I think it was in the part one episode, where you talked about how uh, that past sometimes, it creates this barrier. Mm -hmm. It, it, It prevents us from like loving fully. And like just letting go of that past is, it's the scariest thing but it's something that is so necessary for us to move forward. The, the other thought I had too is, you know, this conversation actually is really helping me feel good about failure, not just with love, mm. but with anything. Mm. And, and as we're sitting here talking, I was kind of thinking to myself, is there anything in life that we get? And we are just ecstatic that we got it and we're mm. so happy, but we didn't lift a finger for it. Yeah. Is there anything that we get in life that comes without the friction that's worth having I mean, maybe there is. I mean, just probably someone watching this or listening to it, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, I won the lottery, and I'm really happy, yeah. which which is funny, because most lottery winners aren't happy. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I'm positing that question. Is there anything you can think of, Josh, that we get without any friction, and we're so happy we got it?
2: I think the lottery would dis- just destroy most people, yeah. and, and because it's it's the opposite of what you're talking about um yes but they my answer to you is yes but they're 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 all things that still come with tension and turmoil like yeah i mean and they aren't things at all right it's not it's not the sort of it's not objective reality it's subjective Mm -hmm. reality we 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 get life and that makes me really happy that i'm alive but
3: life is a lot of work and it's a lot of struggle and a lot of pain i was thinking the closest thing i could think of is when i was a kid I just remember you have these moments when, you know, as you're growing up, like, oh, I can't wait until I can, you know, throw a football like so-and-so. I can't wait until I can ride a bike like so-and-so. And And you have these, these, uh, uh, these little moments that... That you You do get growing up I mean that is You know for all intents and purposes Even then right? I was going to say Riding a bike Even then I can't tell you The the amount of pain I would put through Myself I put on myself To to learn how to ride a bike But even growing Let's just say The act of growing up As a child You still have
4: growing pains Absolutely Even even if you get something Like a glance of a stranger You're walking down the street And there's a glance Of a stranger And that glance For some reason Lightens your day Mm. So you can say Well that came without friction That was Mm. a gift From the other Without friction But even And then there's a whole pile of reasons why you needed that glance, why that glance. So yeah, it's it's hard to imagine something that that comes to us without um, a history, a prehistory. My my friend Phil Harrison wrote his debut novel recently called, I think it's called The First Day. He has a great line and I think he might have taken it out of the book, but he said, the line is, one of the characters says, none of us gets what we want, Mm. but you cannot get what you want in different ways and and it's a beautiful line because it goes like yeah there's better and worse ways of get of not getting what you want right there's failures that are terrible and there's failures that are good yeah. and actually and Be- Beckett says this but there's a certain way in which what we want is the better ways of not getting what we want we find the ways of enjoying our failures and, and uh, in a in a positive kind of yeah. way totally
3: mm-hmm. i think the the biggest piece of advice for brit here is embrace the healthy friction or yeah. embrace the healthy tension, tension yeah. yeah you could tweet either though sean those are good too <laughs> all right well brit i'm
2: gonna send you a copy of our book everything that remains since i since i talked about it and there's a whole chapter in there about Second best relationship of my life. At the time, of was the best relationship of my life and how I, how I ruined it. She's still in your top five? <laughs> on MySpace. <laughs> on MySpace. Here's, here's
4: so, thing. No, every,
2: no. Everything that remains. We'll send you an audiobook version of that. I or, want a copy as well. Yeah, we'll send you a copy.
4: <laughs> well, what, I'll give I, you a copy. On <laughs> on I don't have to send it to you. You're right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm right here. I'll take it with me. If I'm not, I don't believe you that you'll send it to me if I leave this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah check's yeah, in the mail. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's that phrase that says, you know, those, a society that doesn't know its history is condemned to repeat it. Mm. but that's true for us as individuals as well Mm. we will continue uh, to make the same mistakes that we made in our childhood and actually to know your history is to maybe break out of it and not repeat it so if someone like Brett or anybody else we repeat the past in our present relationships when we don't know it Mm. but if you can begin to get to know your past it actually helps you free you from it anyway that's all i wanted to say totally. i love it
2: I, I think that quite often we put a this sort of veil over the past and say i don't want to i don't want to dive into that i was actually talking to my therapist about this yesterday about how so, how because he was asking me about like what, what are the things you don't confront in your past and and thankfully over there was many things for the first 30 years of my life but then i started writing about the things and and it's cathartic but not in a way that's pleasurable yeah you you, you have to like dig up some some demons from the past Mm. in order to to slay them anyway so that is a way of changing the past right yeah by by confronting it so we will send you a copy of everything that remains uh if you like the podcast you'll like the audiobook version or if you want the book book or the ebook version podcast sean if you could reach out to her and Send that to her. I would be grateful. Our next question is from Justin in Cleveland. There was a woman that I was in, in a relationship with, who brought me immense value, and I loved her very dearly. Uh, but she broke up with me, so I wanted to know when is it time to move on and say the relationship is over, and when is it still a time to continue to pursue that relationship? So, so. Yeah, it's interesting the, the, again the language that he's using to posit this question. so this woman broke up with him and of course I just want to want to put this uh, caveat out there. I mean obviously no is no and if someone breaks up with you and they, uh, that you they don't owe you anything. they don't owe you an explanation. Uh, they don't owe you an hour of their time to to let's try to work this out. they
3: don't owe you I totally agree. together. When someone tells you no, you should respect it. Yeah. absolutely now that said also justin uh, sorry for your loss like this is obviously a huge loss for him so i want to empathize a little bit with him
2: yeah and and um, I, I think that the the other language he used here is when is the time to move on and he used give up mm-hmm. and and i would just say that now is the time to move forward now that does that mean moving on or giving up i, I don't know um Pete, I heard you talk about this once. Like sometimes when when you get into an argument with your significant other, and someone says "get out of here," they don't actually mean "get out of here." Sometimes yep. too, there's uh, the, there is the literal meaning, but then there is the sort of the, the there is a, a a figurative meaning behind "get out of here." It mm-hmm. also means "stay" and and let's work this
4: out in yeah. a way. Yeah. No. Yeah. And language is a, a complicated thing. And Justin, I you know I've been in a similar place, and you know so many of us have been, and it is deeply devastating um, the, one of the things I would say is what the danger that happens when you break up with someone is that uh, the very breaking up changes the dynamic to such an extent that you start to fantasize that the other person could fix everything mm. so what happens is often when a breakup happens the person isn't just somebody really nice that you could have had a good life with person starts to become in your unconscious fantasies the one that would fix you entirely the one that, yeah i
2: think that that's the key too. Our, yeah. our friend colin wright has a great book called some thoughts about relationships and uh he has these different like chapters in there and one of them is about not looking for the one like like the the yeah, the, the whole jerry Maguire thing you complete me yeah, is yeah. like yeah uh, in fact i think in the book he's he he's like you want to look for the person that incompletes you yes mm-hmm. Th- that that yeah. you incomplete me is is the more
3: realistic yeah. Um, yeah because really when you say you complete me it's you complete me for right now well it, like, but, but also yeah.
2: it, it it presupposes that you are not a whole person by yourself and that you need someone else in order to fill mm. in this sort of this inadequacy that you yeah. currently contain
4: and i i like i'm very existential so i avoid even the wholeness words but we don't really have to get into that but here, here's the problem i would say that psychoanalytically we are all very susceptible to the notion of the one and um, mm. you see it in philosophy the one is the absolute or God uh, in LA there's a the tyranny of happiness The oh the, the, the one is fame or money or looks um, mm. so we are very prone to it and um, the reasons are uh, because it's what's called the drive uh, we have this drive for something that will complete us we all have that t- temptation um, and so in in this environment for Justin this woman can take that spot and it's there's no easy way out except sometimes it'll be a bit of a bit of psychotherapy or whatever but eventually you get to the point of going maybe it would have been a good relationship maybe it would have been a great relationship maybe we would have had a wonderful life together Mm. but that but it wouldn't have completed you that, that what's happened is she's become an idol. She's become a um, a figure that is so absolute that you will not be able to enjoy your life. So, what's the alternative to an idol then? Yeah, yeah. Kind of in one sense, to break the idol, very gradually, you kind of need to break this fantasy of the one, and it's very hard to do um, to break. But to break this fantasy, and it, it does mean for Justin, he may, as as I say, go. She's amazing. That would have been fantastic, mm-hmm. but it's also going. But you know what? Um, I have other possibilities, other life opportunities, other things will open up. Mm. But it, it can take years to to get to that point. You know, it's really, it's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and because, because you're not consciously making the person the one, you're unconsciously doing it. So no matter how much you consciously try to not do it, mm. you're fighting your unconscious, and your unconscious is much stronger than your conscience. Um, uh, now, what
2: about this language of, of, of giving up? I mean, the, the thing, I, I remember a particular relationship I was in, um, it was with the, the woman who threw scissors at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we won't go into any details, but there was a time where we got into, it. like, I, I'm not prone to fighting. I'm, and I'm also, I take things very literally when you you know, she's like, "You know, get the F out of here. And I'm like, okay, I'm walking out. She's like, where are you going? And I'm yeah. like, you just told me to leave. Like, I'm, the scissors, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving. This is before the the, the scissors uh, incident ended yeah. everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's like get out of here, and I'm like, okay. Like, I respect what you're saying. Goodbye. And and,
3: uh, and then she's like, well, where the hell are you going? Well, it's funny because like what she and I, I I know who you're talking about in their personality, uh-huh. and you know she might have thrown that out there, get out of here. But really, she wanted you to fight for her yeah. right which i don't know if that's healthy or not but there are some women who like to be chased there are like, men I, too yeah and i don't really i think men especially
2: yeah uh, because we're, we can often be you know achiever and i and for me like significance is a big drive for doing what i do right like and so i have to i have to keep that in mind like we, the question you asked earlier like who am i doing this for right mm. and and like who am I trying? If I were to reposit that question, who am I trying to be significant for, yeah. and and then why? Yeah. And uh, so so maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Maybe we could talk about these sort of. Um, the language behind the language. Yeah,
4: I mean, and this this is the core of language itself. Whenever in America, uh, there's a philosopher, Shizek talked about this, and I've experienced it myself. In America, you guys say, "How are you doing?" I think it's uh, whenever you go into a shop, people will say, "Are you having a good day?" or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's very weird because you're like, "Oh, well, thanks very much for asking." Well, I just had an argument with my mom, and I was, oh, my <laughs> sister being been like, yeah, "I was in hospital," and you know. And then you realize, no, they're not. A- they're not asking you that right i'm being an idiot they're not asking you how's your day going they are showing that they're there they're making a connection mm-hmm. so you guys from america know that but i don't back in ireland we always refuse food twice before the third time so if i come around to your house and you say would you like some food i'll always go no and then first time in america i did this i said no no i couldn't eat a thing and the person said okay and i'm like how rude like, <laughs> that like oh, unbelievable rude right? for
3: them not to offer yeah. three
4: times <laughs> so you go like you know you go like if you want some food i go no no i really couldn't oh no seriously have a sandwich no no i like i honestly couldn't eat a thing no no please have a sandwich yes yeah, i'm famished right that's <laughs> that's the thing so again you. there's an interesting thing that in every society there are the rules and the meta rules right. and when you go into a new society you just know the rules you don't know the meta rules this is one way of always knowing if someone doesn't fit so if you go to a high class dinner and the person does everything right well you know that they don't fit because to be in a high-class dinner is to know when to obey the rules and when to disobey the rules mm. if someone obeys all the rules it's obvious that they're trying too hard mm. right? um, uh, so you know I, I actually uh, yeah, now I've got lots of examples of that but so even whenever I say to you I want you to leave I yeah I might be saying I want you to fight to stay if you're in a relationship and, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to write the meta rules. The meta rules are this sh- shared set of rules that a culture or a community kind of no um, and that someone outside the community is completely oblivious to mm-hmm. yeah, and, and community
2: um, in this case could be just the two people it could be just yes, that relationship you might yeah. have your own meta rules you
4: have your own meta rules and very um, you know people who are very kind of psychotic or have psych- psychosis of sorts they're very literal mm. so whenever they go to a party they find the party completely bizarre because everybody is lying you know saying, saying how are you doing but they're not asking how you're doing and mm. they're you know they're all of these it, it, they, they know the rules but they don't know the meta rules and so parties are this weird space where everybody's lying yeah. but of course everybody's not lying right, it, it, right. It, people are just know the meta rules yeah. so that, it's an interesting thing about language yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, by the way also indirect communication mm-hmm. the most direct way to speak is indirectly i.e. You know, if, if I say to you, I want you to leave, well, I want you to stay, but how do I find out? I only find out, if I say I want you to stay, then you can stay even if you don't want to, right? But if I say I want you to leave, and you go, no, I really want to stay and work this out, then I get to the truth. That's the difference between a parable and a command, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if I'm in the army and I say, it's cold in here, close the door, right, close the door, you have to obey me, I'm giving you a command, you have to do it. Right. But if I go, oh, it's chilly in here. If you're a nice person, you close the door if you're not you won't right mm. and so a parable speaks to the heart a command speaks to the you know the the mind and a lot of language has to be parabolic it has to, in order to find out something you 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 can't speak directly mm.
2: yeah yeah. Mm. yeah i think that that in in Justin's case here i mean you have to take literally if if she's like hey we're done um but yeah. then also there there not knowing how long you've been in this relationship there probably is some meta language here that you have to know whether or not you are are moving on is this worth one more one more shot is it worth one more discussion and you have to respect if she says well no i i don't want to have any more discussions i'm going to block your phone number or whatever or Mm -hmm. we just need some time apart you can you can still approach that literally in a way and say hey look I, i realize what you're saying to me would it be possible to sit down? Would you be willing to? Those five words that change everything for me. Would you be willing to sit down with me for half an hour so we can talk about this rationally? And afterward, uh, if you want to walk away, totally
4: understand that. There is a messiness, yeah. I mean, and it, it's difficult because we all know there's a messiness to relationships. And and so there's a way, if, if someone says, for example, no, we've broken up, there's a messiness there, but there's a way to respectfully do it. For example, you don't stalk them. Stalking is where you basically then don't take no for an answer right Mm. but there's another thing which is where you send a letter and in the letter you say listen this is how i feel this is where we're at Mm -hmm. and that's a bit messy because the person said like maybe i don't want to ever talk to you again Mm. and you've disobeyed it because you've sent them a letter Mm. that's not stalking stalking is where you are refusing the no Mm. writing a letter isn't isn't a bad thing uh. now writing a hundred letters <laughs> they, they sending a hundred texts yes yeah. you know a hundred text
2: month you know even, um, even if that's the other person's expectation then they have really poor expectations yes, where yeah. where for me like the, the relationship i'm talking about where she was like get the hell out of here and i'm like okay like that was honestly the best thing to do in retrospect as well because like she literally wanted to stay and fight and like I, it, w- it was an unproductive it wasn't like stay and fight for me it was stay and fight with me Mm. there is
4: there is a structure that's very painful for people who have it where they can only maintain their desire through conflict through jealousy through fighting and that can be very taxing on a relationship Mm. unless the two people like it and then it kind of can work okay but sometimes somebody they have to generate um conflict uh, not because they like the conflict but because the conflict is what allows them to maintain their desire mm-hmm. but if you're not that type of person i'm not that type of person Yeah, that type of relationship is just going to drain you um, whereas whereas if actually two people i know i know a couple and they're very fiery and they're always arguing and all that, but it's like uh they both love it and mm-hmm. i look at it and go oh my goodness that would be exhausting to me i wow. couldn't do it but they um they're
3: in it for the fight
4: they're in it for the fight and they love it <laughs> and they're like and i honestly first time i met them i was like oh this is a bit. This is a bit heavy. They're having this conflict over mm-hmm. the dinner table, mm-hmm. and then as I hung out with them, I was like, "Oh no, they love each other so much, and they get so much out of this tension." Mm-hmm. So I mean, that, that's
2: how they define passion in a way yeah. for them. Whereas for someone else, for me, that would wreck a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to figure out those own the the rules and the meta rules of a relationship in order for it to work. Mm-hmm. I was going to send Justin a copy of Essential, our, our essay collection. There's a chapter of relation about relationships in there. But actually, since we talked about colin's book uh sean if you could reach out to justin and see if he would like a copy of both of those are our, our book essential um, which is an essay collection, 150 different essays about intentional living, uh, one chapter about relationships in there. But then some thoughts about relationships by Colin Wright is a great book. He has these different policies about not just the intimate relationships in our lives, but how to be- better navigate our everyday relationships, whether they're business relationships, friendships, acquaintances, etc. cetera. Um, so if you could reach out to him and give him the, the book or the audiobook version of those, I would appreciate it.
3: So with Justin, if he has already put in this this healthy pursuit, yeah. you know, um, and she's not giving you anything yeah. back, you, you gotta let it go. But the other thing too, I want to tell Justin is, you know really look at it, because she may or may not have done this for him. I mean, he didn't say, but I'm gonna assume she gave him a little bit of feedback, like, no, I don't want to be with you because of X, y, and z
2: mm-hmm. um either directly or indirectly. right.
3: and and Justin can look in the mirror, and then this is what I think he should do. He should look in the mirror and say, you know what? She's right. Uh, You know, X, Y, and Z, I really do need to, I do need to focus on. And that's an area that I've always had, you know, a problem with. And then, you know, start, start having those, you know,
4: short-term actions align with those long-term values and beliefs. Although it might not, it may just be that she didn't like those things. That's the thing. Like, like, you know, generally one person's, problem is another person's desire so for yeah. example you know if for argument's sake somebody might say you know you're too yeah you know, you're too passionate or whatever you fly off the handle too quickly but then there's some people out there go, no i want that so it, yeah. you know um the the bi- and the big thing for me for justin is is and i guess he has let it go as in physically as in hope, you know but he, i'm guessing he's more talking emotionally mm-hmm. how do i let go in my mind mm-hmm. and i think what you're saying is very important which is i think to let yourself feel everything to mm-hmm. let yourself feel like don't don't run away into other pursuits into work or into things. There's a the beautiful phrase in in graveyards which says "gone but not forgotten," mm. which means someone's died but that um, you remember them. But in in psychoanalysis, there's a notion of the forgotten but not gone, mm. which is where you try to forget something but it remains within you and mm. it tears you apart. It's a yeah.
2: psychological residue we were talking about yeah. a moment ago, where where you pretend it's not there. Yeah, you keep eating, you know, the soup even though there's a turd in it. You're like, this kind of tastes like shit, but you just keep eating it. <laughs> over and over and over <laughs> and you try to like pretend it's not there but it's it's going to be there yeah. until you
3: deal with it so going with this sh- you know the shit stew example uh-huh. um what, what what i was getting at is that with justin he, he can maybe look in his stew and be like you know what she's right there's a piece of shit in this stew uh-huh. or maybe he looks at it, it looks in this stew and he's like no this is actually really good stew yeah. and i really really love this stew and even though she feels that way like don't i guess what i'm really trying to give uh advice to justin here is like maybe there is something you have to change maybe but but ultimately if if he can look in the mirror and be like no i really love who i am and you know i don't know why she broke up with me and whatever reasons it was and i really don't agree with her but i really do love who i am well then justin you've got to find someone who loves you for who you are I and mean, she didn't love you for who you were that's but, okay
4: yeah but but the issue is if he can't do that that's the that's the trick for me is sometimes we can't, can't do what can't move on like mm-hmm. and that's very important for all is like it's, just, it's not because there's consciously mm-hmm. you know what you ca- conscious advice and then there's the uh, what the unconscious wants and that's why i'm always actually very skeptical of advice because advice always talks to consciousness mm-hmm. when we have to shift the unconscious and so how does if if justin for example is you know he wants to move on he wants to forget but he can't what does he do mm-hmm. and that's where that's where i think this trying to um just feel everything mm-hmm. and maybe get therapy where you're you talk through everything yeah. and you bring it all to the surface and that just that process can be enough to break that psychic link that yeah. I it
2: might help you it might be the thing that helps you move on yeah mm-hmm. by bringing it to the surface and and yes you're 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 letting it go in in, in one sense But uh, it it will follow you for a while, and uh, even as you move
4: forward, kill her cat and um, uh, burn all her stuff, (laughs) and make it burn all the photographs. (laughs) That's the other option. So the other option is to try to feel your thoughts and mourn and move on, or to
3: project your thoughts. Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
4: or just go crazy.
2: All right, all we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about love, including advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at minimalistscom We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode and stay tuned to the end of this week's episode for this week's listener comments and tips ryan what time is it it is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media all right pete this is what we do here we uh, we're on twitter facebook and instagram at the Minimalists, and 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 pete is at peter rollins on twitter he has my favorite uh, twitter bio of all time i think i wrote it down um <laughs> it says we'll give nihilistic despair for cash and, <laughs> and then it says tweets do not <laughs> reflect opinion of my employer self-employed that's great that's great <laughs> uh so yeah you can follow uh at peter rollins on, on twitter but during the lightning round this is where ryan and i and, and now pete we do our best to answer each question with just a short shareable less than 140 character response we put the text to these 180
4: characters now? that's it's
2: 280, it's now,
4: 280
2: but, now but we're you know we're we're um uh fundamentalists
4: all right you're sticking, Twitter, you're Twitter sticking fundamentalist. With okay. speaking
2: of uh so so uh, pete has a, a great podcast uh with his roommate called the fundamentalists he's reclaimed the word fun t- fundamentalist yep. so your roommate is is a comic yeah um and uh, i think it's weekly you you
4: put out a podcast episode mostly, most weeks mostly yeah, yeah. we're yeah. not the most organized guys like i'm looking at your setup and i'm like so in awe of it like, <laughs> we sit in our pajamas drinking whiskey well if you ever want to come um, by and use, use the set here i think it would yeah. take
2: away some of the beauty of it uh, uh you <laughs> talked about this on, on a recent episode where you were talking about the, the sort of issues that you had with Malcolm Gladwell talking about stand-up comedy and uh, uh, I really loved the episode uh, because you, you uh, you're, what's your roommate's... Uh, Elliot? Elliot. Elliot, yes. Yeah, uh, you and Elliot were talking about how... Um, uh, uh Malcolm Gladwell made this very declarative statement like how stand-up comedy is one of the easiest jobs in the world um, because and I, I'm I'm being a bit hyperbolic but basically he was saying that hey it's so easy because you're showing up and telling jokes in front of junk, uh, drunk people who expect to hear jokes and and I think the beautiful detente that you sort of formed with this conversation is like uh Malcolm Gladwell was both right and wrong like yeah. like the, part of it is like stand-up comedy is uh, really difficult and because it's difficult you have to put yourself in this situation where people are coming and expecting to laugh in a way
4: and it's, um, it's, it's only as difficult as telling the truth so which is incredibly difficult yes I, I, I know but here's one thing like it's, I virtually know no one who can tell the truth except your truth always speaks your truth will speak in the tapping of your finger that's what freud said or mm. the twitch in your eye so everyone is always telling the truth but also we are avoiding confronting the truth and so the com- the comedian often is trying to articulate a truth that isn't that's very difficult anyway yeah, yeah. well in, in,
2: in that episode you were talking about also how um why when youtube stars start to become famous they actually lose the the thing that made them so fascinating because they were just like everyone else and then all of a sudden they're no longer in their bedroom singing the cover song. They're, they're you know, Shawn Mendes performing in front of 50,000 people at a stadium in and, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, Dublin or something yeah. and, and all of a sudden they're not that same person that you fell in love with. It's like when, when uh, Radiohead became famous and everyone's like, yeah, but everything went downhill after OK Computer yeah. because all of a sudden
3: they're this... They were they were cool for not being cool, but now they're cool, which makes them uncool. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Well,
4: you guys, tweet that. Wait a minute. This is in relation to. this like you're my pleasure and my enjoyment is not having it because i'm looking at your setup and i'm like you're my ideal you're like the you've got like you've got a room you've got a re- you've got really good mics. but if you got i this, really want to take one you of got these this, mics so you'd be so like, unhappy amazing. though but yeah i'd be i'd be so depressed <laughs> but in my head i would be happy so i'm going to go back well, to elliot and go elliot we need a good you know, setup
3: <laughs> to your point like so we just had the today show we just did a today show interview uh, on the Megan kelly show and uh. th- we were going to film at josh's place but there was some kind of issue filming his place but his place is so much like he actually looks like a minimalist when you walk, where uh, we're yeah. like, where me and my partner, you're walking, you're like, oh, these guys are like really tidy. I mean, Josh is really tidy too, but specifically with design uh, is what I, is what I yeah. mean by, you, you yeah. would walk in and be like, oh, maybe this guy's a minimalist because of the specific design. Yeah. I have like aesthetic and I, OCD. And yeah, I look I, and, yeah. and I go to Josh's place. I'm like, God, this place is like so nice. But if I had this, I'd be miserable oh, yeah. because <laughs> I would have to take care of it. I would have to make sure everything was always in its place and oh, I, yeah. and it would drive me because I am not OCD. I am ADD. But to yeah. your point, it's like I would love for my place to look like Josh's. I just don't want to make my place look. Actually, can you just come over and like decorate tidy and tidy yeah. up for me <laughs> <laughs> once, once a, a week? week. To tidy up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But back to your point, anything that's given to you, you
2: will not make you happy. That's no. absolutely true. <laughs> All right. So for the lightning round, we actually just monitor mm-hmm. on a bit. So don't feel yeah, yeah. like you have to create something 140 characters. Eventually, we Come up with something that's tweetable, yeah. our, uh,
3: Ryan. We to get to our first question here. All right, our first lightning round question is from Mystery Girl. Is that really her name, Mystery Girl? It was her Twitter name. Yeah,
4: nice. It's a it's a cool Twitter name. It is a cool like Twitter that. name. Like a superhero, it super name.
3: I thought yeah. maybe like someone like anonymously asked a question or something. Oh no, no, no! All right, Mystery Girl's question is: What do you recommend to someone who doesn't really know how to love herself? Well, my my pithy answer to this, and maybe we could talk about it, is
2: uh, internal clutter gets in the way of love. Thus, to love ourselves, we must let go of that which is in the way. Emotional clutter, psychological clutter, spiritual clutter, mental clutter, existential clutter. we often talk about uh, the, the, the material possessions in our life, like in, in American life in particular, Western society in general. But we even had people from Afghanistan and Kenya email us, natives of, of those countries who are like dealing with this struggle with external clutter. And so what I've learned is part of the human condition is like there's this, this material, the material possessions are a physical manifestation quite often of what's going on inside us yeah right and so so quite often it it starts with dealing with that stuff but once you deal with that then all of a sudden you have to start looking inward in a way yeah so mystery girl's question is about like what do you recommend to
3: someone who doesn't know how to love herself yeah um I'll i'll go first so so the uh the short answer i got here is the more your shirt good grief I promise. Your
2: shirt does what?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I promise I can talk. The more your short term actions align with your long term values, the more love and respect you'll have for yourself. I think and
2: that, isn't that quite the problem sometimes is like we get down on ourselves, but then we realize, and then it becomes this like perpetual cycle mm-hmm. too. like, like I'm not doing what my future self would want me to do right now. I mean, the, the obvious example is like someone who's a smoker, like, you know, your future self probably doesn't want your
3: current self to smoke. You're going to wake up the next morning and be like, why did I go back to the cigarettes? Yeah. What? yeah. 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 We, we, we beat ourselves up. I mean, that is. To me, like that is uh, well, that's kind of the human existence. It's like like you talked about. There's where we're at and where we want to be. Yeah. And it's funny though. If I ever got to where I wanted to be, if I ever got to that perfect state, I th- I feel like I'd be really bored. Yeah. Like I feel like um, if there's not any more challenges. Then, then life would be really, really boring. So, I mean, in another way, I, I guess I'm recommending to mystery girl is, is embrace the challenge of loving yourself and embrace the the journey of finding different ways uh, to do that. But I I know for me, when I hate hated myself the most, or when I looked in the mirror and I felt like I was letting myself down the most, it's when my my short-term actions were not aligning with those values. So, for example, it's like I really wanted that you know mid-level corporate job i wanted to manage you know hundreds of people and i just i really wanted that well to get there there was a lot of values i had to compromise i Mm -hmm. mean uh selling self teaching my guys how to teach their guys to sell cell phones to five-year-olds and and uh you know trying to play the corporate politics and i mean there's just so many things where i look back i i just forsook a lot of value so i could finally get this thing that i wanted and then when I got it, yeah. it was a yeah. co- completely different feeling than, than what I thought I was going to get. Yeah.
2: So yeah. do you have anything pithy for for mystery girl if she doesn't okay. love herself?
4: Yeah. Now, first of all, these guys had practice. They even wrote down their answers. That's this true. is, I am hearing it off the cuff. So let's, <laughs> I'm going to make my way to a pithy answer pretty it. quick. I love pretty it. Pretty quick. Uh, so two, two problems people have often when we're growing up is we either... We create what's called an ego ideal, which is like our. Whenever your parents say you're strong, you're beautiful, whatever, which is very important. But you know, you you start to create this ideal of yourself that you love, which is called narcissism. You start to fall in love with this ideal. There's another issue is sometimes when you don't relate to that ideal, you put it onto other people so you start to idolize stars uh writers musicians um which is a weird thing of like putting your ideal ego into other people so Mm -hmm. these are two issues is you you love the ideal of yourself um or you love the ideal of yourself in another person see it all the time um the difficulty is is how do you confront all of your shadow your darkness your all of those things and how do you find a space for them and um it sounds like mystery girls you know that's the question she's asking she's she's saying like I don't have that ideal ego that I'm loving which is a very good thing so you're already halfway there mystery girl um, <laughs> yeah you, know, you don't have to overcome that yes um, you I don't know if you idealize other people but it sounds like maybe not but you know so the question is then how do you come to accept your your whole self in its darkness and light, and the pithy answer—this is my Twitter answer—I got there, um, and it's very twee, but uh, it, it's it's fine in a collective of grace, which is to try to. There's a long answer, but the short answer is: um, Where is it that you feel that people can accept you for who you are? Is it the coffee shop? It could be the confessional, the poker room, the pub, wherever it is. Where is that liturgical space? Where you're able to allow yourself to feel the full range of human emotions, from happiness to sadness to self-hatred, to self of all of the human emotions that are there, and just make space for them in your life. If you don't have that space. Uh, try to find it and it's hard to find I love
2: it find the find the space where you can be yourself as opposed to having to always try to be that idealized self that you're projecting onto the world which is is
4: grace because grace is grace isn't being accepted because I can accept you but you don't accept that that you're accepted so the first step is go to a place where you're accepted and then very gradually very gradually you will accept that you're accepted so it doesn't happen straight away you enter a collective where you're accepted, and then over months or years, you will accept that you're accepted, and then you will be able to love yourself in a healthy way.
3: Absolutely. it's I got I have an aside written down here, and it says, don't let other others' opinions make you think less of yourself. Get those people out of your life. I mean, you could tweet that too, Sean, but the point is, is like, right now, does she not love herself? because there are things she has to change
2: because there are other people who aren't accepting her for for or, who she is yeah yeah or yeah. Or,
3: or yeah or are there yeah or are there people in her life who are making her feel like uh she's not enough yeah. and and and
4: going back to what I was and telling it's Justin it's hard to <clears throat> know, it's not like cuz sometimes you think you know we project so much of our inner fantasies on others mm-hmm. that you know you know there's a it's very difficult to know whether someone's not accepting you or you're not accepting yourself and you're projecting it onto other people. Ooh, yes. that's it. That's something to be dodgy about. It can
2: quite often be a combination of both, yeah. Right? yeah.
4: Like when it, you always know what someone's thinking when they say, I know what you're thinking. So if someone says, I know what you're thinking, you're thinking I'm an asshole. I'm going, like, no, you're thinking you're an asshole, but you can't accept that you're thinking you're an asshole, so you're putting it into me. So, yeah, so um, it's, it's a little trick. That's well, great. I that's I love our, that.
3: What's our next question, Ryan? Our next question is from. jazz Jazz. i was gonna say jazz all right jazz writes in how do i know whether it's bad love or if it's good love well um my pithy
2: answer was better on this one the thing i wrote down is hate often masquerades as love so tread lightly and with intention um yeah, I think you have to define what, what, what love is here and what is, what do you mean by bad love and what do you mean by, by good love? If you mean frictionless love, then that's probably not love, right? Um, it, it's, when I think of, of the people who I've loved most, the people who I do love the most in my life right now, um, there's certainly friction there. There's, there's some sort of,
3: of tension, but it's necessary in order for that relationship to grow. I wrote down, if you really want to test your love, ask yourself whether you'd start the relationship over again. And what I mean by that is, is it's not just start with a with a fresh start. but would you you know, go back to day one when you meet that person, would you foster that relationship still? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, you know, I don't think that that necessarily means right away that someone's got to like abandon that that love that they think they have. I mean, I think the first step is, well, how do you fix the relationship to where you truly can express love and, and have some good love in your life? Right. Um, but you know, sometimes we get to a point where, you know, we hold on to things. I mean, when I think of literal things, I mean, dude, how many of our things that we let go of that had claw marks on it, man? Yeah. And even though and even though those things in our lives, uh, they 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 weren't something that truly bettered our lives, but it's like we held on to them because there was this fantasy of those specific things, making us more of a whole person, or maybe it was the letting go of the failure of like, shit, man, I bought this like brand new car and I really liked it. And if I let it go and downgrade to another car, then like I've lost that way. And, 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 you know, I made the bad decision getting this. I mean, we could just beat ourselves up, Hmm. but, but, you know, ultimately, uh, um, I've totally lost my train of that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the The claw mark thing, the, the the David Foster Wallace claw. Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. That's not letting go at all, right? That's just hanging on until you can't hang on right. anymore.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I guess what I was trying to say is like ultimately we need to we need to recognize when we're clawing onto something out of pride or out of a fantasy, like we have to be very clear on why we're holding onto something that we're holding onto.
2: Well, because eventually you're going to be forced to let go and and, and why not let go now anyway? Yeah. yeah.
4: Okay, I think I got a pithy. All right, this. man. <laughs> um, uh, to boil down a psychoanalytic insight is does your love seek to fill the lack and get rid of the struggle in your life or does your love animate and help you enjoy the lack and the struggle in your life oh, that and that's so a, much
3: better than what we have
4: why do we always do this to ourselves
3: we always bring on a guest <laughs> who makes us look like
4: idiots <laughs> <laughs> no you do it better you do a good enough job of <laughs> that on this your own is- honestly <laughs> 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 i just i just animate what's already there <laughs> i think the two of us together could beat
2: him up unless he knows
4: jiu-jitsu yeah, yeah, no. one of you while sleeping could beat me up sadly yeah
3: i have to admit the josh i only look like i can fight
4: yeah, you, do, you do look like an irish guy you look like an irish guy coming out of a pub at two o'clock in the morning that's yeah, so,
2: yeah. uh that's good well uh, uh, let's move on uh, to oh there's p.s ryan we have one more question all right a- and so uh, this question is from just reading mostly um, and this question is Is it true that, quote, all you need is love?
3: All you need is love.
2: So, so, um, play us out with the Beatles. All no, you we're not going to do that. All right, we're not, do not going to do that. But, but, um, <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating because there's something I want to talk about here. We're, it, this is, uh, Bex and I got into an argument last week about this thought experiment, and I know you, you're you familiar with plenty of thought experiments, mm-hmm. but this one was particularly painful, a- and it had to do with, with commitment, and so I do want to talk about that. And If you want to hear our conversation about that uh, and, and hear our answers to that question, then you can listen to this week's PostScript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast. So, Pete, each week we do a little short private podcast just for our Patreon subscribers. It's like a bonus little episode. And I want to talk to you about this this, uh, well, this argument, this, mm. this discussion, this heated discussion that uh, Bex and I got into. And we'll do that this week on this week's uh, PostScript episode of the Minimalist Private Podcast. If you want to listen to that, you head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. You can find all the details and good stuff over there. And also, uh, we, we put out Ask the, Minim- Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes and a bunch of other stuff for our Patreon supporters. And so here is a snippet from this week's
4: PostScript episode. Human beings are creatures of meaning and we can't get into the reasons why but but what that means is we overvalue so Amen. other creatures don't overvalue beyond utilitarian means but human beings have not even just a capacity it might be um, actually central to subjectivity that we're able to value beyond utilitarian use yeah. right so that's to overvalue something yeah. and love is a name for overvaluing oh. so you overvalue one person. Other people look at the person, well, they're really dead on, they're nice, and but you think they're the only person in the world who matters, right? So love is a modality of overvaluing.
2: Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Now, Ryan, uh, we're going to talk about Screenless Saturdays in a second. And you'll see why I have a physical copy of a CD
4: in my hand. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I'll, I'll talk Classic. about the experience. Is the 1980s? Well, Josh, Josh <laughs> is just really
3: passionate about uh, CDs, no. compact no.
2: discs. This is Matt Nathanson's new album. It is called Sings His Sad Heart. Oh, and, nice. man, it, it is like... Uh, in fact, I think at the end of this episode, we will play out the episode with, uh, with one of the songs from here. Let me look at the back of the... Because I have the disc here in my hand Um, used to be actually this whole album is sort of about like our unhealthy attachment to the past. So you talked about how how we can change the past by reframing the past in a way. But he has these sort of uh, these moments where he you know he sings his sad heart. That's the sort of the the the, the title of the album here. But that's the theme of the album as well as looking back at this sort of sad past. And to me, it perfect. The album itself perfectly demonstrates. And you don't have to get the CD. I was actually surprised the CD store that I went to had the CD, um, because it was the day it came out. Um, but
4: I'm surprised that there are CD stores. R- wow. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> I'll get there, I
2: promise. But um, the, the the thing that this album really illuminates for me is like how we unhealthily cling to the past as opposed mm. to reflecting on it and learning from it. And you can learn from it. And it's literally some of the most beautiful writing that I've experienced in, in any format, not just like in text, but he has a way with words, where uh, one of the lines on there, what is it? I wrote it down here he he! In, in the song used to be he says I've got a king size bed and a PhD in the way it used to be oh, wow. a PhD in the way it used to like yeah, I have studied you know, my yeah. past yeah. over and over and over, over. And over it is and it's a gorgeous album but it's there's this weird dichotomy, too, because it's strangely upbeat. It's sad, upbeat songs. Mm. So like, you're hearing it, and you're like, I'm feeling like I should dance right now, but wait a minute. I shouldn't be dancing to what he's talking about. This is, this is sad. I, the music shouldn't make me feel this way. There's this beautiful dichotomy
3: there. Uh, Ryan, what's been adding value to your life recently? Oh, man. Uh, Mariah and I, we were flying, I don't know, a week ago or so, and you know how you got the movies that you watched on the plane, and we watched Won't You Be My Neighbor, Oh, with... Uh, with Mr. Rogers. Oh, I've been wanting to see that, man. You know, I am not like the typical man's man. Again, I may look like a man, but I'm not like really... We are just like uncontrollably sobbing during this whole movie.
2: You know who recommended that to me originally? It is unbelievable, dude. Who? Uh, Kevin Rose. He held a screening in Portland for us. Oh, I think it. Oh, that's right. He recommended
3: it to us when we were there. Yeah, and... and uh... It was incredible, man. I mean, dude, it helped me feel so good about what we do because like Mr. Rogers, he dedicated his life to helping kids. And like that was his purpose. Yeah. And that's what he went way out of his way to do. Mm-hmm. And and you know, we have, it's it's like when I was watching that movie, I was like, you know what? Like I'm so passionate about what we do You know, if if the rug ever got swept up from underneath of us, and it just you know we just whatever like Josh cheated on me, and you know I left. I mean, (laughs) he
2: recorded a podcast with someone else.
3: (laughs) But no, seriously, like if if shit hit the fan, yeah, and like I you know I I had to like really reconsider what I was doing, and I was homeless. Like I would be on the I'd be the crazy guy on the street corner with a big sign that said, Have less stuff. Like I would still <laughs> propagate the hell out of this even if I was homeless. Right, right. And it's a it, message it, you believe in. Yeah, time. it just really, really helped me. But it's it's a uh it's it's just an awesome it's a very inspiring story. Here's the other thing too with this movie. I don't know how many kids Mr. Rogers helped out. I mean thousands, tens of thousands, yeah. millions. I was a fan. And it's funny dude, it's funny because watching this documentary, I real there's this voice that we all have, you know, the voice that talks to us in our head. hmm And I realized like that voice is very much influenced by Mr. Rogers because I was watching, you know, this documentary and it's showing these old clips. And I'm like, oh, my like the cadence, the soft tone. I'm like, holy shit. Like I had no I thought it was like God or like, you know, my dad, something like that. But it turns out like the, the, the when I really look at that internal voice that talks to me, especially when I'm like trying to calm myself down, it is totally Mr. Rogers. Huge, huge impact on all these kids. But here's the thing he had his two children in this documentary they were talking about their dad hmm. and there's nothing negative so I, I this is my own perception this is not anything that's in the documentary but th- there were very little interviews like there were only a couple lines by their kids and one of the lines that that their kid said was like the only the only person the only person worse to be raised by than jesus christ is is Mister Rogers, <laughs> and because you because he felt like you know he felt like he was with this you know this Christ like person growing up, and you and, and I could tell that you know he reached all these kids, but like his kids were not a product of of his teachings or of his pursuit. Mm. Um, it, you know I don't know what to make of that, but you know there are the it's I mean going back to where I really wish my mom and dad accepted me the way that I wanted them to, but they don't out of all the people in the world i'm sure mr rogers wanted to like really touch his kids the most yeah and it's like you can tell that he he missed was it his fault was it his kids fault was it his wife's fault who knows yeah but it's just interesting how you've got someone who you know so very much wanted to help kids mm-hmm. and like and he, the, did. and he did but the the kids that he probably wanted to help the most you could tell he didn't completely mm, get yeah. through to
5: yeah.
4: yeah, that's yeah. a very common thing. By the way, that the more we have an external persona, um, and we're projecting something out, and the heart the the more perfect that is, often um, the more imperfect our private lives are. So mm-hmm. there's this thing in America called PKS, pastor, Pastors' Kids. I think it means oh, Preachers' okay. Kids, whatever. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's a very common experience of uh, people who you know someone's full time job is to be caring and doing missionary work, and often what you find is that there is a poverty within the private life so anyway yeah it's, yeah. it's,
2: it's, it's funny, funny i'm i I'm I'm fascinated by by that world the not not just the I mean it sounds to me like you're you're fascinated by the sort of the the prosperity church and, and all that for for certain reasons I think probably the same reasons that it fascinates me because you learn from well you can learn from the good and the bad from from those places and I mean you're a, you're much more well versed with that but there are people like like I'm not particularly religious but I found Rob's work years ago and I found it really useful even uh, notwithstanding the the sort of religious text or subtext mm-hmm. of it, even yeah. when he was at Mars Hill and I was in Dayton, Ohio, like like found uh, his first book on to be very useful, yeah. And yeah. especially books like like How to Be Here, like like found found the stories in there. Um, and I know some people even just just cringe at the the idea of well religion because they had a bad experience with it mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like well this was a, just a different lens through which to see the world and and why not be open to that perspective but there are other you know the there are other places like we were speaking in uh, australia earlier this year in the same Place that uh, it was in Sydney where Hillsong does their oh, yeah. Th- yeah. Th- th- does their like Sunday service or whatever and and I'm I'm fascinated by by that movement. In fact, I read uh,
4: Carl Lentz's book um, and I, I, I met him once. He used to drink coffee in the same coffee shop as me in Brooklyn. Okay, that's yeah, quite funny. He yeah. walked into the shop before I knew who he was. I was like, "There's a guy must be a rock star. He looks like a rock. He's, he he yeah. literally looks like a rock star." Absolutely. And then someone was maybe said, "Oh, it's Carl Lentz," and we had a wee chat. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and
2: so like there, there's to me things that like I can I can be exposed to these different perspectives, not have to agree with them, but still get something
4: out yeah. of it. Pete, what's been adding value to your life recently? Anything That's you want a to recommend? Yes, yeah, beautiful question. Very quickly I'm gonna like very unprofined, but I'm rewatching my favorite comedy show called Peep Show, and I feel that this is the most valuable bit of this whole An interview because I am turning a lot of people on to Peep Show, show. a British. It's a British uh, sitcom that it's very good because you hear the inner thoughts of the people, and so it's very good at exploring repression. Is it sketch
3: comedy or is it like a? No,
4: it's a series of that that um, charts the relationship between two friends. Ah. So I'm doing Peep Show. And then I'm listening to actually a a band that I really like called Ballet School, who are a Belfast Berlin band. Sadly, I don't think they're doing music at the moment, but I would check them out. Them and Daughter are the two kind of... uh,
3: Love Daughter. Yeah, Daughter are brilliant. If you like Daughter,
4: check out Ballet School. Uh, Ghost is a really beautiful song. Oh, beautiful. You know know
3: what? uh, I think it's an Irish show. Father Ted.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. God, I love that show so good. And you know there's what? only like three seasons of it. Yeah, you know what? It's funny, I was going to mention this because the people who wrote that or produced it um, created uh, a new sitcom called Dairy Girls, set in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Okay, and it's actually very good, and it's um, it's very hard to get in America. But Dairy Girls is very, very funny. And it's the same people he did Father Ted. Put
3: a link in that yeah. in the show notes, Sean, so I could go back and reference it. Oh, yeah. I, you know I, I watched it. the first three episodes. <laughs> it's very funny. That is awesome, man.
2: All right, real quick. Let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalist. Ryan and Pete, let's talk about something called Screenless Saturdays. We, we started doing this recently. And uh, actually, just this month. Uh, I, in fact, I want to say this to Ryan. The day this episode comes out, is Ryan's birthday, so happy oh, birthday, Ryan! Thanks, man. You finally caught up to me. Do not we
3: have like a meeting scheduled that day? We do. We have a very we have a, a podcast, podcast and, and a long <laughs> meeting.
2: Thankfully, he grew up Jehovah's Witness, so he's never celebrated It'll, birthdays, yeah, and it's yeah. sort of <laughs> stuck. Um, but um, we, we've we've uh, we've been doing this thing called Screenless Saturdays. We started it October first, and um, because uh, social media and just uh, the 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 well, the unboundless glow of our our screens—they're—they're they're ever
3: intrusive. That glow is a calling all the time. Yeah, whenever I go to
2: like uh, just a restaurant that has a TV on the wall, I, I find that I have to position myself away from it otherwise like i just ignore the person i'm with and i can't help but even if it's something i don't want to watch at all like it's a soap opera zone i'm like oh mm-hmm. wow and and so on saturdays basically we have a, a essay on our website about this and it's called screenless saturdays we'll put a link to that in the show notes there are three ways that our audience is participating with this so number one if you just want to take it easy it's just get off social media on saturdays mm-hmm. uh, that's one way to do it number two is well you can get off also the sort of entertaining screen so you're your computer uh, and and uh, this is sort of what this part was inspired by Rob Bell. He just sort of takes a digital Sabbath on one day a week. So, um, taking that digital Sabbath on a Saturday, the 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 most extreme version, which I've been doing and did last week, was no screens whatsoever, unless it's something I can't avoid. But like even my phone, like I left it home all day, and Beck's left hers at home. Uh, no, she actually left it in her purse. We had like an emergency phone, but we didn't use it, and and. It was beautiful. Like We literally got lost together. And like, but the first problem I encountered was like, oh, we want to listen to some music together. We're, we're driving in my car. Let's go da- downtown LA. And then we went to Boyle Heights and like, but we didn't really know where we we're going because I didn't have the, I didn't have my phone to tell me where to go. Yeah. I remember that's actually how you used to learn a city. You stop and ask someone, yeah. yeah, and
4: you figure it out. But we didn't have any music, and so I'm like, I don't that have must any. Must be s- the weirdest thing for someone if in this day and age, if you pull over and say, "How do I get to somewhere?" It's like, who is this crazy? Right? Yeah. 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 What? yeah.
3: Well, what's even crazier is when someone's trying. They tell you of a spot, and then they try to tell you how to get there. Yeah, just, oh, and, yeah. and, the and I have direction. to listen to him for five minutes when I know I'm not going to remember any of this. Yeah. Anyway, there's going to be a big purple sign with a cow. Right. On. Yeah. yeah. What, which, which road are you taking? Yeah. They're like, I don't know. Whichever road. Waves tells me. Yeah. <laughs> so we we drove over to amoeba Music, which
2: is like the only CD store I know of that still exists. I'm sure there are plenty out there, but it's in in Hollywood, not too far from our studio here. And we went there. They, they actually have free parking and I we went upstairs and I bought the this Matt Nathan CD CD was it was the day after it came out it was already in the store and nice. I'm like perfect. And then of course my favorite one of my favorite albums if not my favorite of all time is he David Gray's
1: picking up,
4: my, picking up my, oh. pick and like, my favorite of all time my he favorite holds of all time and then he just he just gets the something that's underneath the book <laughs> what he's is this he's literally using it as a coaster <laughs> for his my, it's yeah. a coaster <laughs> for his oh I didn't discs. even realize
2: this was a book <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: David Gray I yeah, see David Gray oh, yeah. the, the, the best selling CD of all time in Ireland oh, by the that way right? oh I, didn't yeah. know that.
4: I do like David Gray I've listened to him for years
2: and so White Ladder two mainstream at the look at the price of I'm kidding <laughs> look at the price on that oh my god uh, you would have been dumb not to get it uh, well here's the thing about this i and, and and i had this sort of existential mini crisis as we were in there because bex is like this goes against
3: everything that we we value we're impossibly like, buying this dollar cd
2: yeah and and but like we actually went there with intention i said well no i'm actually not buying the cd i'm renting it for a dollar because next screen saturday which is uh, two days from now, I'm just going to go return this CD, and they'll probably give me a quarter for it or something. And I'll then use that quarter and put it toward another dollar CD. And then on screenless Saturday, I'm just renting this CD for a week. Nice. And then I get to return it to them. I don't have to hold on to this thing. And then, uh, you know, same with this. But here's the weird thing. This Matt Nathans CD was $11. I remember like 15 years ago, CDs were way more than $11. I, I feel don't like know the how digital version of out. that
3: album would be more. have you looked it up yet no i
2: haven't but here's the other thing i discovered strangely we don't pay for albums
3: anymore either yeah Yeah,
2: we stream Uh, them right yeah the 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 strange thing about is i put this on because i've been listening to this album the day before on my apple music Mm -hmm. and i put this on in the car and people are right the cds do sound better oh yeah not twelve dollars better i'm not going to start investing in all these and i always like i always called bs on it like Eh, come on how much better is it no it sounds so good on CD but guess what Uh, the convenience is still worth it to me the rest of the time but I learned so much from the screenless Saturday experiment um, I I realized how long I've been tethered because I've done a bunch of experiments in the past where uh, I went without home internet no TV and then I got rid of my cell phone you learn a special kind of loneliness when you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you you remove these sort of pacifiers from your life, yeah. and, and we're, we're given all of these sort of pacifiers that they're injecting dopamine into our daily existence, and, and uh, we get addicted to it, but man, it was so freeing in a way because we just explored, and we got lost together, and it was one of the best days I've had in a long time. Awesome, man. Nice. I don't know if you had any lessons. I
3: went to Goldbug, so it was really easy for me. What's Goldbug? It's where you get no... It's a hot springs. You get no cell phone service. Like, we stayed the night there. Like, it was freaking awesome. So, maybe I cheated a little bit. This Saturday, I'm looking forward to it, though, because I'll I'll be in L.A. And Mariah... We were just talking this morning. I'm like, what are we going to do this Saturday if we, like, literally try to go... My, My TV broke. So I don't even have, I don't have that option. I mean, I guess we got our computers we could pull stuff up on if we wanted to. But
2: see, I did no computer, no TV, no, and oh, that's the other right. thing that
3: Bex and I did. We read to each other for like
2: three or four hours. That's awesome. And uh, like I was pulling out old books. Oh, I love this one. You're gonna love this story. And uh, for like three or four hours, we rediscovered books. Yeah. I just read her my own books. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Chapter uh, One, Rebecca. I, whatever she's into, man. <laughs> yeah. I know you've read this, but it's really good. <laughs> um, no, I uh, we 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 read some nonfiction, some fiction. Like I just really enjoyed yeah. spending the day with, the, the with ni- no screens.
3: The nice thing about the no screens is when I do do because I I have no screen Saturdays, no screen Mondays. I mean, I especially when I'm in Montana visiting family and stuff. But having a specific day yeah. set aside and giving yourself permission in because you've set everyone with the expectation like Jordan knows Sean knows Josh knows like don't try to contact me on Saturday because you're not going to get a hold of me. Yeah. So like, you have this permission to like let it all go and to not worry about it. And I will say like when I go do the hot springs or or uh, w- whatever we do uh, go on the snow hill and I don't have cell phone coverage. There is that that flinch where I'm like, oh man, like what if what if Josh really really needs me and like I don't have my I don't, I'm not near coverage and it's like I can let all of that go. It's like you have permission to just
4: to just be free. I guess well, we are. I mean, we are liturgical creatures, uh, human beings. We do rituals, whether it'll be every Tuesday you see your friends at the coffee shop, every Friday at the bar. But we're liturgical beings, and the idea of creating liturgies of life that mm-hmm. that help us embody our desires and help us uh, actually even shift our desires is deeply important. A lot of my work is about how do we create these liturgical structures in our existence that reform our mode of being in the world Mm. and that's just a great example of of one of those types of liturgical technologies well
2: perfect segue let's talk about your work Uh, before we wrap up here uh pete i just want to thank you for spending this time with us Um, that has been fun i'm really 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 Uh, grateful um you want to talk about i mean i I have your copy a, a copy of a book that you wrote here We'll show the folks on YouTube. It is called The Orthodox Heretic, which in and of itself is, is a bit of a paradox. Uh, oh, other- now
3: your CD is a coaster for the book. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually get that It actually does make a great coaster. Look uh, at that. Yeah, I could yeah, fit perfect. two
4: drinks on it. <laughs> it oh, <does>. no. <laughs> and I've got a lot of those coasters at home, believe me. Yeah. I could build a fortress out of the coasters <laughs> of my books. <picks. laughs> can,
2: can you talk about what you're working on right now? I would, uh, uh, The Minimalists are Patreon supporters of uh, Peter yeah, Rollins. Thank you so much. I appreciate and, and, that. And so uh, we'll sure. put a link to your Patreon in in there, and and my you. drug hobbit going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love
3: he, he walked in this morning. And we were filming the uh, what is it? b-roll pre-roll it's called b- behind, behind the, the scenes, scenes live we were doing ping pong we were filming behind the scenes and peter was like oh don't put me on camera the government will find out that i'm working and i can't keep
2: going <laughs> <to> my welfare <laughs> check the, the, the funny thing is that's an irish joke I love, uh, like I, there, I, there's, I, there's an a like oh like, i didn't realize that it, in belfast at one point it was like 25 30 percent unemployment oh yeah it was a lot was oh my god years on
4: unemployment benefit
2: in oh, my uh, wow. life
3: i've been eight years unemployed yeah. uh, like before i came here yeah. uh, <laughs> i thought the joke was is you can move to america and not have a job and the government will take care of you oh yeah no it's much, e- much easier back home to not have
4: a job. i yeah, tell you yeah, that yeah. much for much nothing. Easy. Yeah, not a job <laughs> oh, I had a great time. Oh, um. So we
2: won't tell anyone you're working on anything. Yeah. But What are you working yeah. on these days? And wh- wh- where should we point people? Obviously, PeterRollins.com, at Peter Rollins on Twitter. But wh- what work? What what mm. if someone were, were introduced to you for the first time, what would you want them to check out right now?
4: Yeah, well, so the, actually that book as well, you can actually get it free at the moment. Because while I'm on tour with a uh, friend, Rob, um, anyone who goes on to my website can sign up and get a free copy of the Orthodox Heretic I read it it's a 33 parables Mm. that I read with some music in the background you're so great with parables oh thank you oh my good and and so yes uh, check out the Orthodox Heretic Uh, so they get the audio version for free for free if you sign up Um, and and I'm not being generous I just want to have your email address so I can sell you goods and services Um, I I love the honesty yeah well I have a lot of holy handkerchiefs and I don't know what to do with them to be honest so Josh and I typically don't send you spam but Peter will yeah I'll send you a lot of spam i want i want your heart and soul no i promise i won't Mom, you um you i'm also i've just finished a, uh producing a film uh called making love i've just brought out the graphic novel enduring love and a commentary called a guide to making love so i've been working on that the next big project i've got a couple i do a festival and a retreat in ireland so i'll be doing those I'm even looking into a documentary uh, kind of thing. So I've got, you know, bits and pieces. Mostly I do online talks. That's what I'm mostly into. But I have a book that's percolating on the absurd christianity and the absurd okay. so i'm excited about that as well so yeah awesome. lots of bits and bobs
2: well anytime you want to come back and just chat with us we can we can chat about or whatever the, or if we can help on any of your projects
3: man let oh, us know
4: listen I, i'm already coming back tomorrow to record the cool fundamentals nice here. nice we're, we're <laughs> gonna pick this uh three days a week perfect nine to five perfect just letting you know
3: i'm only here one day a week and that's on tuesdays so <laughs> that's perfect that's fine, right. <laughs>
2: and, yeah so if you want to check out uh peter's podcast as well it's called the fundamentalist we'll put a link to that in the show notes but you can just search Bang for the, the fundamentalist wherever you oh, I also get ha- podcasts I
4: also have my own podcast it's not a podcast it's just an archive of talks I've given oh great so you know but you'll, people find it in my name stick in your, the interweb is an incredible thing it's yeah. going to be big honestly because you can just literally <laughs> type in my name and you will get so much stuff that you will hate the day that you typed in the name <laughs> mm.
3: alright Ryan you got anything else for us yeah man I got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners check them out
6: hi this is Crystal from Seattle and I had a comment regarding Angela's question about her father's items after his recent passing from episode 136. Um, what I have done with my grandmother's belongings once she passed is I found a few items that I actually could use in my home and that way I wasn't adding to the clutter but rather replacing an item that I didn't didn't really have value with or didn't have a story with something that did. So for my grandmother's I kept one mirror and two lamps that I use frequently in our home. Also, when our father, my father-in-law passed away, my husband took a few items that he could wear that were um, his father's. Even though they weren't quite the same size, there were a few items that did work out. That way, um, you're getting the use out of an item, and um, you don't really have to determine whether or not you should hang on to it if it doesn't serve a purpose, because it is serving a purpose, while also um, bringing a smile to your face as a memory um, for the people that have left. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Emily from Oklahoma City. I had a tip for the callers and questions in the spouses podcast. I recently read a book called Crucial Conversations that provides a really clear step-by-step framework on how to have difficult conversations, whether that be personally or professionally. It talks a lot about things like stating your intention and creating a pool of shared meaning and kind of shared input. Um, It's a great resource, and I would highly suggest
0: it. Hi, this is Ryan from Dallas, Texas. I just listened to the Spouses podcast. I just wanted to add a comment. Uh, As of recently, me and my wife decided to become minimalists, and we had a week of getting rid, donating, trashing, or selling a bunch of things. And I heard a lot of people, you know, that were... Their spouses or significant others were not on board, uh, but I just wanted to put something out there for the ones where their spouses are on board. Uh, the best thing to do from what I learned was you take care of your things. You know, like we were going through stuff, and, you know, my wife is like, should I get? I don't know if I should get rid of this. I'm like, you know, that's up to you. This is this is your journey of figuring out what you're going to keep and what you're not. What brings the most joy to you and what doesn't. And uh, I think just answering that and stuff, just saying, well, you have lots of things, don't you? Still, at the end, just say, you know, if that's what brings you joy, if that if that adds something to your life, if you love wearing that shirt, then keep it. You know, just just give that advice. Don't tell them what to do.
2: All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at minimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Oh, and uh, let's play us out with uh, Used to Be by Matt Nathanson.
1: Still got the same old number. Still drive the car you hate Still fighting with my father Still staying out too late Still leave the back door open Still let the dog escape Maybe I'm deep down hoping You'll come back to yell at me like you used to do You were right I'm just a stubborn fool I living in the past When we were young and we were free And all your friends were friends with me Swimming in our clothes when the beach was closed Midnight on New Year's Eve And if you're having trouble, baby Holding on to memories I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be And when you write your movie my autobiography I can't reach the sweetest details Feel free to call on me And write how I made you shiver The ground underneath us shook the devil is in the details He and I get on real good like we used to do And you were right, I'm just a stubborn fool I was living in the past When we were young and we were free all your friends are friends with me Swimming in our clothes when the beach was closed Midnight on New Year's Eve And if you're having trouble, baby Holding on to memories I got a king-size bed and a PhD in the way it used to be I got a king-size bed and a PhD in the way it used to be Oh, whoa. Oh. i got a king-size bed and a PhD in the way it used to be. When we were young and we were free, and all your friends were friends with me. Swimming in our clothes when the beach was closed, midnight on New Year's Eve. And if you're having trouble, baby, holding on to memories. i got a king-size bed and a PhD in the way it used to be. Our friends were friends with me Swimming in our clothes when the beach was closed Midnight on New Year's Eve And if you're having trouble, baby it all the memory I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be I got a king-size bed and a PhD In the way it used to be